Yo, people always ask me what kind of frames I'm rocking. I've been rocking Caddis for a couple years. They make amazing progressive readers, which I wear. Also, they make sunglass readers, anti-glare, anti-smudge coating, anti-scratch, and anti-aging. That's why I look mad young when I wear them. I'm just kidding. Um, but they make amazing frames. Caddis, so stoked to have you guys part of the podcast. You can go to caddislife.com slash Toby10 and get $10 off your first purchase. Stoked. Thank you, Caddis. Welcome to the fam. Yo, yo, Liquid Death. Thank you so much for hydrating all my guests taking care of me and my family and my friends. Love your water. Love your brand. Love what you stand for. Love you give back to the community. If you want to learn more about Liquid Death and how it started, listen to episode 115 with the co-founder, owner, and creator of Liquid Death, Mike Cesario. Just a punk rock skateboarding kid from Delaware with a dream. It's an incredible story, incredible journey. They have now blessed me with my own code. So if you go liquiddeath.com slash Toby, you get free shipping on any items you order from liquiddeath.com. Thank you so much, Liquid Death. Death to plastic, murder your thirst, stay hydrated. You know H2O saves lives. We, we should both consider singing. Or That's right, baby, we should do something. Check, check, yeah, hey, check, hey, check. Hey, don't you guys know stealing ain't cool? Um, <laughs> welcome to the One Life and Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby you know Morris. That, right? Today I got uh, my brother from another mother next to me, Mr. Derek Green. Thanks for being back, Derek Green. Hey, hey, hey. How you all doing out there? Um, hey, yo, help it. And then in front of me, I got, fuck, I, I got a friend of mine I haven't seen almost, I don't know how many years. I ran into you here and there and you in L.A., but but really it's the first time sitting down and talking to you and, and over a fucking who knows. But Evan Seinfeld, thank you so much for being here, man. Pleasure to be here. So um, psyched for you to be here, dude. On the podcast, in the podcast, yes. amongst the podcast. Yes. yes. You're yes. looking great, too. We're just talking before the pod. Like, you look younger than you did back then. It's fucking crazy, it's man. It's insane. It's crazy. I have Benjamin Button. I was yeah. bo- I was born swollen and bloated. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you were born. Here, hitting my stride in my mid fifties, <laughs> dude. I mean, just it's very inspirational. It's have a mental and, breakdown, midlife crisis, like I do. You'll mm. get you'll you'll do some extreme things. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I, I take my fitness and my my health, my wellness really serious mental and physical yeah for sure yeah i mean the physical is easier you yeah, know the yeah. physical requires the showing up and the repetition but the mental is you know that's you know you're fighting an an, an invisible uh invisible army of mm-hmm. thoughts that scream at me with great authority all day long you know and that's been that's, that's been true. throughout your whole life that kind of yeah stuff. i've always struggled with like anxiety and mental health issues i was always really open i mean it, the very first biohazard video in 1987 damn was panic attack mm, that's right and okay. it's on youtube i saw it the other day i was bugging out on it because i'm because <laughs> i'm literally like i'm literally like 20 19 wow. or 20 with my long hair and my uh my you know just wearing some bombardier boots up to my knees and some <laughs> some like like bleach tight pegged jeans to fit him into my dog yeah, that was a shit back then because you might kick somebody in those days yeah. you know you just didn't want any you didn't want any flappage on the yeah jeans. but tucking your jeans into the boots that was actually a thing but i remember it was that a huge thing yeah, yeah. Listen, you realize listen toby we're this you know similar age yeah uh i just turned 54 th- four days ago right happy birthday happy thank you. birthday thank yeah. you um you realize as you get older because we're all here in the second half of the game, guys. Totally. Me, Toby, Derek, right? It's 150 years of experience, of worldliness amongst us, right? True. You start to realize that everything is chapters and cycles and all those things. This is forever and ever and ever. And whether you want it to be or not, nothing's forever except for mm. change, right? Yeah. Right. So 
embracing it in this part of my life, really embracing that doing different things and reinventing yourself and rediscovering what makes you happy and redefining your purpose. Totally. That this is what you're supposed to do in your life. Probably should start doing that when you're really young. Yeah. You know? I mean, from Brooklyn to Tulum, Mexico, man. It's, it's, yeah. This journey, man. With a with a with a twenty piece in L.A. in the middle, you know. Fuck, man. Yeah, twenty. Yeah. So we're gonna take it back. So obviously, yeah, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. Born and raised. Born and raised. What part of Brooklyn? I was when I was born in East New York. Okay. Uh, East New York is no joking. Still no. Still no jokes. Still no. Jokes. I was born in Brookdale Hospital, and I grew up at Canarsie in Brooklyn. I li- my family lived in Brownsville. East New York, and, wow. then we, and then we moved to Flatbush to live by my grandmother, and my parents got a townhouse, right? In, in the townhouse in, in Canarsie is not like a townhouse. <laughs> what I'm thinking right it's now like, is like, yeah, a, yeah, it like, looks oh. kind of like like a low-rise project, okay. but it's like the whole block is all brick houses that are all connected. It's not like brownstones or nothing yeah. like that. And Canarsie was the end of the earth. It was like, you know, JFK Airport, people. I mean, Canarsie was the movie Goodfellas was yeah. the story of. And like a lot of the. I heard that name a bunch in movies and hip hop and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of those guys, like, even Henry Hill used to follow me and tweet at me wow. a couple what? of times because I was like, yo, Canarsie. Oh, shit. But um, yeah, I mean, that was like. So Canarsie was crazy in the 70s and the 80s when I was a kid. Yeah. So even before crack hit the streets because you had projects on both sides it was predominantly black and puerto rican and you had the the blocks you had the neighborhood canossi which was italian and jewish and irish and you still had like racial tension was a fucking real thing mm-hmm. you know and like me i lived all the way in the corner of the neighborhood right by the projects and i always grew up i was never racist and i grew up playing sports and i grew up with friends of all colors and all yeah. races and you know i was a jewish kid yeah from you know I was a minority too. I never felt mm-hmm. like uh, I'm some kind of you know white American who resents somehow yeah. the people who came here that yeah. I brought here. I don't know. Do you have siblings too, brothers and sisters? I have a sister. My sister Mara. She went to Pratt in wow. the city, okay. and she uh, she's an artist. She does the graphic design stuff. She actually worked on some of the early Biohazard Whoa, albums. She nice. was part okay. of the she was part of the creation team. Bobby my sister and Ed Repka who did all the Megadeth albums. Oh, it that's took, right. That first Biohazard album was just the symbol with some bricks. That. Yes. No, it was like it took a whole bunch of people to do okay. it. Like Bobby drew it and then my sister redid it and then we gave it to like the real remember when people used to care about the details? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> like an album was something you wanted to hold in your hand. I know. We're gonna talk about Russell Simmons saying that just uh, okay. later later. Right. Yeah for sure. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I remember reading some here and some. Yeah, you you were inspired by that, so that's why the logo and then the stuff behind it, maybe the sewer or whatever the first kind of design yeah, was. Yeah, it was yeah. like a sewer cap. Yeah, you know, it was like it was like supposed to look like bricks, but like a sewer cap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> were you was your were your parents strict? Were you like religious growing up? Like how was that? My parents were school teachers, yeah. and they were pretty. They were pretty. I don't want to say strict. They were conservative. They mm. were really like. My parents like great people, you know what I mean? They were just like always took care of people around them, really honest people. My parents like, you know, they taught me right from wrong kind of shit at a young age. Yeah. But I lived in a neighborhood where people were getting fucking whacked and (laughs) fucking, you know, murdered and disappear, you know, and you'd be like, what happened to that guy? You know. Damn. And and drugs was crazy and people, and I, I got into drugs as a young kid. I was really into anything I could do to, not feel my 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 
insanity. You know, mm-hmm. me and my friends were really young, smoking cigarettes and drinking like, you know, eight, ten years old. Like, Jesus, wow. Really? Like getting into the father's liquor cabinet and drinking it. And in those days, it wasn't like a big deal. You could walk into the store and buy beer if you're fucking 12. Nobody said shit to you. Yeah. We gave a fuck. It was Brooklyn. It was ran by fucking wise guys, you know. Wow. So, so you're like in the streets at a young age. Yeah, I mean, not in the streets. Like I didn't have a home to go to, but yeah. I was drawn to it. I loved it. You know, yeah. I hung out in the projects in Bayview Housing, you know, um, and I'd love to go out. And we, you know, it was like music was, it, you know, growing up in Brooklyn was incredible. Like I remember it being like, I don't know, 1980. And I loved Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. And I was just hearing about Motorhead. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and Black Sabbath was my favorite band. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, you know, loved Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles and the Doors and the Rolling Stones. But anything new that came out that was like heavy or aggressive, like, you know, sucked me in or just deep, Pink Floyd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we would go down to a place called the Four Corners in Bayview Projects, and there would be always somebody with a huge boombox you know, playing some fucking t- turn me on to some album and give me some weed or some drug. Yeah. You know, and me and my friends, we were, you know, just young, mischievous yeah. kids getting into trouble, you know, getting picked up by the cops for fucking writing graffiti on the wall Damn. or stupid shit, you know. What was your graffiti name? Do you remember? Uh, I mean, I went through a million little baby <laughs> stupid things, you know, um, <laughs> embarrassing names when you're a kid but no i i used to love to uh to write has h-a-z with biohazard i mean that was from like 17 okay on yeah that was like what i ever because the canarsie was like cbs it was like those guys who were everywhere kane fib it was like new york legend guys yeah um no, it wasn't like a graffiti artist. It was just yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. do anything to get in trouble. You know? yes. <laughs> <laughs> we used to like, you know, we'd be like, yo, this guy stole a car. Let's go take it. Joy riding. We're all 12, 13. Wow. You know? no one, I, can, I can really not see over the dash, but I'm driving the station wagon. Damn. And how, and how are you in school? You know what? I was that kid. I was really smart. I was, I had, nobody was talking about ADD or ADHD, which I fucking have the worst blown case of in history. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, back then they weren't. They just said you were a bad kid. Mm-hmm. Right. And they said you have behavior problems and you need to be punished. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think I ended up making biohazard? You know <laughs> what I mean? It was like this misunderstood kid. I was really smart. Nobody fostered my creativity. Everybody's mm-hmm. told me to sit down and shut up my whole life. Wow. You know? And it was like, it was crazy because you got to think in in schools like that, there was like race riots at my schools, like Canarsie High School the first year when I was a, uh, stop, they didn't, you didn't go into high school in ninth grade in Brooklyn because people would get too fucked up. Wow. They would only want you from 10th grade on. So junior high school was seven, eight, nine. Yeah. Okay. PS 211, John Wilson Junior High School, then Canarsie High School. I remember I played junior varsity football in 1982. Wow. I was, you know, a little kid. What was I? 14 or something right yeah and i was chubby too i had long long hair <laughs> and uh i wanted to play you know football and i remember we had like football practice over the summer and the field was terrible it was just dirt with like broken glass it was sand almost Jeez. rocks mm. um and that year canarsie chiefs were city champs the, the, oh wow uh, uh, we were a division city champs and i was just you know kid trying to try for football and right after Football summer and like practices ended, school started, and there was a race riot in the school 
like Holy shit. two or three days in, someone came in with a shotgun. What? And, Jesus Christ. Uh, me and my friends held, staged a, a peace protest. We smoked a blunt in the <laughs> dean's office. Cops are running. People are hitting each other with shit, with pipes. Wow. That was and, your peace protest? Uh, yeah, we That's... got in, we got in more trouble than the people fighting. Holy oh my! Shit. Because it was drugs, you know. Holy shit! It was shit. like weed, it was you know. Urban man, yeah, man. Yeah, that was before Philly Philly's blunts, probably too. Fuck, holy shit! No, people smoked Philly blunt okay, in okay. those days, but it wasn't a T-shirt. I know <laughs> it was That's something you knew shit. about. It was a white owl or whatever the fuck it was. You know? So, what, so what were your goals in school like, when you were going to graduate? What did you want to do? I didn't have. I just I wanted to be a rock star. Okay. From the time I was about seven, when I first saw Kiss. Damn, damn. I used to put the makeup on my face yeah, and course, take like yeah. a get you like a paddle ball, yeah, get a it. paddle ball racket, and like put aluminum foil all over myself and anything I could do. Okay. I would dress up as Kiss all the time. Wow. Kiss. I love Kiss. Fuck that was yeah. a shit too growing up. Okay, that yeah. was it. And what were your parents? Were they listening to music or anything? My, so my house. dad plays a little guitar. and my, cool. So my parents were school teachers and my dad also ran a summer camp okay. in upstate New York. He was like the girl's head counselor at a summer camp and my dad grew up going to, like working at camps Yeah, and like wanted me to have a bet because he, he grew up really poor. My father grew up in boarding homes wow, and okay. he was supporting his mother and his two brothers. So... He wanted me to have a better life than he did, so totally. he worked at camps. So my sister and I were able to go to summer camp and get out of Brooklyn. Gotcha. And that's how I learned how to like play sports with nice. the rules, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like yeah, if I was this kid from Canarsie who mysteriously also knew how to like horseback ride and water ski and shit. <laughs> what? That's awesome. You yeah. ride horses and shit? That's awesome. I know how to do a bunch of holes, a whole bunch of shit. That's fucking I, cool. I, I feel like I'm... You're like a city slicker. They took you out there and you fucking... <laughs> city slicker. I got some structure and learned how to play the sports. I love that movie, love city that. slicker. That's what I'm saying. Like, he right. was. And he went out some there and fucking like rode that. a horse and shit. Yeah, That's but uh, the, the point was... Um, where were we were talking about? We're talking about like just like, you know... Um, like what did you want to do when you get out? Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean from a young you age, I hated yeah. I hated school. Yeah, I hated school. I, me and my friends would just smoke pot all day long in school and take mescaline in between. Wow. In like Damn. in like tenth grade, we'd go to like earth science class, like tripping. Wow. And, and the teachers had no idea. We were like smart kids, mm -hmm. but we were like kind of pretty out there. And I'm still best friends with all these guys. Oh right? wow, That's like my best cool. friends from school. Eric, David, Patrick, like we went to dinner in the Bronx. We went to uh, Arthur Avenue for dinner like, I don't know, three months ago. Oh, I, had, awesome. I had a business thing in New York. and It's uh, cool, man. And me and touch. my son go to the Jets game for a little torture. <laughs> yeah. you, know what's, you know what's so fucked up? I'm living in L.A. Man. 20 years. All my other friends have changed over and became Rams fans. What's wrong with them? I, that doesn't make any sense to me. I, they're like, you get my friend Ross. He's such a disloyal person. I question every yeah. fiber of his character over this one move. He goes, what do you mean? I, I switched. I switched. I, wow. I, he goes, I get to switch. I live here. Nah. I go, you can support, but yeah. you don't get to switch. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm the same way. You know, it's like And we, life is about change. You're going to hear me talk about change. Sure. Right? But- Fuck your your team, your loyalty to your team. Hell yeah. yeah! Unless there's some you know philosophical difference you're having with the organization over you know something you just can't stomach. You know, <laughs> I, I almost went through that. Yeah, you, you know, did. I mean, yeah, where I was just like, you know what, I might have to call it quits with this team. Who's your team? The Browns, and uh, of course, I mean because he's from Cleveland. Yeah, and so it was kind of crazy. Like when the team they sold the team, which ended up oh, being yeah. the fucking Ravens. And then they went on like destroying 
teams in the NFL. I was like, ah! Right. <laughs> do you, so do you go with the Ravens? Do you stay yeah, with the Browns? I was like, I'm not going with the Ravens. So no, like, your heart tells you what to do. Yeah, your yeah. heart tells you the truth always in all in all your affairs in life. But I agree yeah. with the sports team thing. I mean, even in Brazil, it was the same. Like. You never switch your team. Yeah, but okay. You're also living in Brazil. That's easy. That's like me because I grew up in New York. I was a Yankees fan. It was really, totally. it's really easy to stay loyal to the Yankees. It's the winningest franchise in history. But I'm a fucking <laughs> Jets fan. Yeah, maybe the losingest. Well, we had that one Super Bowl in '69. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that was it. I'm sorry. <laughs> horrible. But so, I'm looking to start. I mean, the Browns. Hey, man, I like our new coach, Rob Sala. Mm. Fuck with the coach. <laughs> I like the GM. Let's see what they're gonna do. Listen, it's like Good it's luck. your uh, it's your like self imposed torture just to continue <laughs> choose the, the loyalty. You know, yeah. um, <laughs> you know what it reminds me. It, om- turn. it almost reminds me. It almost reminds me of our mutual friend Craig Satari. Okay, oh, we used Craig. to always laugh. We'd be backstage in some shitty backstage <laughs> in some shit place in Europe with some shit food and. <laughs> And we would just be hysterical laughing him with his giant smile. Yes. Right? Because we had no right to complain about anything because we weren't really complaining. We were just, this was our choice. You know what I mean? Totally, totally. You you choose your, you you know, where you're sitting, you put yourself there. 100%. You know what I mean? No one's a fucking victim in this world. I, I agree with you. Put yourself, yeah, for sure. And I, I remember being backstage complaining about food, but also I'm getting to do what I love. I'm about to play a show. It's going to be a great show. But yeah, reading the shitty catering was like, it's easy to complain about shit like Until that. Until somebody sure. walks in like, first world problems. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. I'll shut up. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So so are you playing in any, any bands in high school or anything? Or no? Or playing yeah, music? of course. I, I started playing the bass when I was 13. Okay. Um, I started singing a little younger than that. Like I was in a couple of plays in school. Like wow. I would sign up to do shit. I like to, I like to perform. I like to be up yeah. in front of people. I'm, uh, and you know, it's that's that's evolving for me too, and what it is too. And we'll talk about that after. Yeah. But um, I wasn't a great singer. You know what I mean? But I liked to sing, okay. and I always felt like I could sing rock and roll, heavy metal, something like that. Yeah. You know, when I first heard punk rock, it inspired me a lot too because I was like, okay, you could kind of suck and be cool. Totally. Right there, you know, lowers the bar because, because <laughs> you know, when I was into like Judas Priest, I'd be listening to Rob Halford going, wow, I wish I could do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't do anything like that, you know? I could do something on my own. Mm-hmm. And then you start to realize, you know, what, here we're three singers sitting at a table here totally none of us sing anything alike we all have our own unique kind of thing and true none of us are operatically trained no nope. but you know all achieved whatever success or you know whatever you would call it for sure in our own right right because yeah. if you're passionate you believe in what you're doing you just Mick, do it Mick Jagger never had a great voice but he's still maybe my favorite singer ever you know what I mean mm-hmm. yeah but uh so yeah, yeah, I mean, wanted... for me, I played in, in. I mean, my musical evolution was I played in cover bands in, in school, and I started writing my own songs when I was fourteen. Awesome. I would kind of write songs that sounded like, like Iron Maiden, but going faster. Okay. And I was really into being a bass player, and I was like really riffy and a million notes of noodling, and I knew how to like. I saw Talis play when I was fucking fourteen, Talis. and I learned how to do finger tapping on the bass. Like I wanted to be like a like a fucking maestro on the bass, <laughs> yeah. you know? And all self-taught? 
all self-taught. Sick. But my my main influence as a bass player was really Geezer Butler from Sabbath, okay. Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. And to this day, I kind of play bass like those guys and a little bit like maybe, you know, I love the blues and Allman Brothers yeah. and, you know, Leonard Skinner and Grateful Dead, shit like that. So I kind of like jammy, bluesy. Yeah. You know, my, my first love in music was always just roots, blues, mm-hmm. and awesome. funk and soul, James Brown, Otis Redding, shit my dad listened to, Sam okay. Cooke. That's cool. You know, and the Beatles, and I used to steal my dad's cassettes. That's you awesome. Know? And, uh, Maybe 8-tracks back then, too. Remember 8-tracks? Well, we had 8-tracks. Fuck yeah. And you know me, I've always been into old cars. So yeah, that's, yeah. I always will like buy myself like a, a, you know, a 71 Eldorado that has an eight just because it has an eight track player. Awesome, and then I'll go like to the promoter swap meet walk around until I find that guy with the giant box of eight eight tracks. And of course, <laughs> they're all cool because in that yeah. era, yeah, you got you got a BG's eight That's track, true. you know, true. Cool. Yeah. you got a Luther Vandross, you know, you got like it's old shit, not even yeah. Luther Vandross. You got like um, cool in the gang, cool, cool in the gang, yeah, yeah, Steve BG's Miller, the shit too, man, wow. I listened to the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack the other day. That documentary came out last year is incredible, dude. Yeah, it's a great documentary. Oh, I just made a demo with those five songs on it for that movie yeah. and handed them in. They were all bangers. So, all so when I was in when I was in high school, I started like jamming. I used to jam in a band with Johnny Kelly. Who's there from? From Typo Negative. Oh wow! Okay, okay. Johnny Kelly and I, we were probably fourteen. I I answered an ad. I saw an ad <laughs> at, ba- at Bath Music in in uh, Bensonhurst. Wow. Where I was going to like buy a uh, my fr- I was going to buy like a pickup for my bass, okay. and there was like a thing on the wall like, you know, looking metal for- band looking for bass player, you know, and it was <laughs> like it was hard. Shit. You used to get on the B six fucking bus for an hour to go down to the Dip Studios in Flatbush to meet Johnny Kelly, wow. you know, and we were like you know writing riffs and jamming, cool. you know, like early on, no computers, no phones, no. You know, I ring his house phone. You're going to go, right? Because if I go all the way there, you're going to be there, right? <laughs> be there, yeah. Because <laughs> like, all you had was somebody's word back then. Yeah. I'll see you at the show next Friday. And it happened. It's crazy. There was no forms of direct communication. No. Right. And like, you didn't really like want to just blow up people's house phone, talk to their mother, you know? Because <laughs> in those days, it was unfiltered. You answer the phone. Ah! People were screaming at oh, each yeah. other. Johnny, somebody's on the phone, <laughs> you know? <laughs> You or call my house. My mother's gonna embarrass the shit out of me on the phone. Or people getting on the phone. You know, like you're talking. It's like, yo, I'm on the I'm phone. Like, I'm on the phone. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Who are you talking to? Yeah. It's is it a girl? <laughs> yes, mom. It's a girl. Does Fuck. she have a name? <laughs> did your Did your parents want you to do anything particular? That my parents wanted me to, to just like be. <laughs> Like from their perspective, they wanted me to be nor- like what they thought was normal. My yeah. parents wanted me to like be a doctor or a lawyer, and when they saw I was terrible at school, and they knew I was smart, but I hated school. They still want to try. They, yeah. they started lowering the bar. They'd be like, maybe you could be like an accountant or like a bookkeeper or something, or, <laughs> or librarian. You know, your, your cousin Warren, he has a nice job as a, as a as an accountant. Yeah, and you know, and I was always like, that's great for them. It's not what I want to do. I never. I I knew I was not wanting to do anything that was put in front of me. I yeah. didn't, nobody offered me a lane. It was like, hey man, you know, you could go into the entertainment business over here. You know, the the people I knew, listen, the guys I grew up with, um, like my high school class was 1,600 people going in, freshman or, or sophomore, sophomore year, and 
580 people graduated. Wow. That's Canarsie, Brooklyn, 1985, oh, right? Shit. So a lot of those people drop out of school. A lot of yeah. people people went to jail and died. A lot of people, yeah. you know. The, I didn't know anybody. Let me tell you what inspired me. Peter Chris from Kiss okay. lived in my fucking neighborhood. Wow. On Patterson 15th Street, where I ended up living on that block years later. But... Like it made it real. It was like, yo, yeah. he's a rock star. Lives in this fucking neighborhood. That's sick. And he has a vet. Mm. He got a fucking Corvette. <laughs> Corvette. Me and my friends. Ah, I mean, some of my friends shit? went to like. Nah, I didn't see him around. Yeah. he's a friend of mine now. Okay, but really funny. Um, seen him. Uh, we would go to like play stickball or like football. I went with some kids to play in front of his house. So, because he wouldn't know which kids. Just to get a look at him. Like yeah. he, he's walking out with no makeup with the big mirrored sunglasses, Ooh. getting his Corvette and drive away. He had like one of those like silver anniversary, like 1976 vets. Yo, so <laughs> fast forward that, like, you know, take that 15 years later, okay. right? Biohazard's opening for Kiss at the Monsters of Rock at Castle Donington, Holy where we played shit. with you guys. I think right. you were on the same bill. Right. Wow. Or some incarnation of Sepultura, right. maybe pre- Pre-me, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, I'm, and I'm hosting the Headbangers Ball backstage where I'm getting to interview Kiss, yeah. who I've met before by this time. Yeah. And I get, and my first concert when I was a kid was Kiss. I was gonna ask you that, yeah. And- I get to, and, and this is the 20 year reunion of that concert. So I get, to, I climbed up on the light tower. I'm sitting up there crying. Every song wow. I'm hearing, I'm watching from the side of the stage. I get to interview these guys. It's fucking awesome, man. Then go 10 years later, right? Yeah. I'm, uh, no, maybe not 10 years later, maybe five years later, I'm on the set of Oz, right? I'm, a, yes. I'm in like Chelsea Markets where they used to film that. Yeah. And somebody kicks the door to my trailer open, kicks it open. I've been out with Chuck Zito at scores until five in the morning, and it's like 6.30. And I'm like, who the fuck is kicking my door open? And I see the backlit silhouette of somebody with some rock and roll hair. And the voice is so oddly familiar. I'm like, what the fuck? He's like, where's Evan? I'm here to see Evan Seinfeld. And I'm I sit up and it's fucking Peter Chris. Wow. In my trailer, I'm in my underwear. Holy and shit. And I was like, Peter Chris from 15th, Patagat 15th Street. And he goes, yeah, you remember that, right? I go, what are you doing here? Wow. And now I'm going to take up a career in acting. And he was doing a jazz odyssey thing too. Like, Peter Chris is dope. You yeah, know? yeah. Fucking Italian kid from Canarsie, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's like, so cool, man. Fuck. You know, and he was so, I always loved his voice as a singer too. But Is he the sober, there's a member that's never tried anything like me. There's somebody that band that's never did any drug or alcohol. I swear to God. Gene Simmons. Okay, Gene, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Holy Gene shit. Simmons. Okay. You know what's crazy? Never had a drink or a drug. Is Eric Carr, the drummer now. Is he the drummer now again? Yeah. I, I don't know if he is now. Eric but... Carr joined the band for the Creatures of the Night album. Okay, so <laughs> he's some real kiss originally, originally from Cleveland. Oh shit! And I got to interview them when I was in Brazil, and got to meet them, and I was just like, "Yo, Cleveland represent." It's crazy. That's I tell cool. you, Cleveland. When I when I think of Cleveland, like it it it, <laughs> it goes fast in my head. We're down the flats. Yes. Right. You're down the flats. I can I can flash back to a ton of fist fights. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been in like 15 fist fights in Cleveland. It was almost like makes sense. we'd be like looking on the tour maps, you know, being like, all right, how many, 
you know, you better take it easy tonight because Cleveland tomorrow, you're probably going to fight somebody that you don't know you're never going to see again in the street. You know, Ohio's wild. Yeah, back then. Fuck. But that kiss kiss connection's so funny. So, you know, as a kid, I wanted to, you know, I I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to play in a band or be a singer or be an actor. But music was the thing. It was what kept me going my whole life because, you know, when things... You know, when you when you feel really alone with your thoughts, with your depression, with your anxiety, with your life, maybe you really are alone. Yeah. You know, I fucking slept in my car for fucking three months when I was like 19 because nobody wanted me in their house Damn. because I was fucking mess. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, and that was some shit I did to myself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and out of that, I got sober and I started Biohazard. And yeah, when, so when did you get sober? What year was yeah. that? You know, uh, I mean, the first incarnations of Biohazard was like without the name were I was probably fucking, you know, 17, 18 years oh, old, wow. kicking around with Mio, who was the original drummer. I knew him since I was 10. It's like 87 so, so who was the yeah. original band? The original band. Well, it was me and Mio. Okay. Like we were like started the band and Mio introduced me to Bobby the Handball. Bobby was from Old Mill Basin, from the next neighborhood over from Canarsie. It's all it's all like Flatbush, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And uh, and he introduced me and Bobby, and me and Bobby couldn't believe we hadn't met because we were like musically like on the fucking same exact page. Totally see that. Okay, like right. it was totally '87. We were both like we were both like if we put our our, our most important like records, yeah. it was all like okay, it's. Chromag's demo, not the album, and it's the you know, and it's Victim in Pain, and it's Carnivore, and it's also you know this Sabbath album and this Sabbath album with Dio, and we appreciated a lot of early metal, and yeah, we both like riff oriented shit, and we were both musicians, you know what I yeah. mean, and like me, how my eyes got open to like even knowing what hardcore was, yeah, was so I played in a cover band when I was. 15 called public enemy wow before public enemy mm-hmm. and oh. and i could find you some pictures but That's like sick. i had long hair spiked up and i was wearing like belts and spikes <laughs> and like every accessory you could put on like more cables than this like yeah. all over me <laughs> and i was like i looked like some a cross between vince ne- young vince neal and like, and and and, and Swan from the Warriors. I was trying. Yes. This is what I was hard. trying to channel right. my whole life. Warriors I don't know if I ever. Pu- I don't know if I ever pulled it off. It was really not my person. <laughs> I was never the strong, silent type. Um, <laughs> but I was always channeling my inner. That was my movie, you know. Right. I, I imagine Love that shit. But I grew up in that in that era. Right. Hell you know, yeah. Riding the subways, me and my friends would cut out of school and take this take the L train to the village. And get alcohol and get weed and go to Washington Square Park and watch guys dressed as Jimi Hendrix play guitar and just Sick. you know, got real think, New York shit. Yeah, like I, I mean, I'm 54, so I was born in 1967. So when I was you know 12, it was still in the fucking 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people weren't so there was no social media. People weren't fucking pussies yet. Mm-hmm. You, know, <laughs> you were only a pussy. You were only a pussy if you were really a pussy, right? Mm-hmm. Or you didn't care about. You know what I yeah. mean? But so you're in a covers band. You guys doing cover songs of hardcore bands or not? No, we were doing cover songs of like ACDC, oh, yeah, Black yeah, yeah. Sabbath, uh, Judas Priest, yeah. Iron, like the shit that I, I was mentioning. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
you know, a bunch of ACDC songs, Highway to Hell type shit. Yeah. And I played in the Battle of Bands when I was 14, my band Sick. Aftershock. Sick. And we did like a Rush song and we did a, two Iron Maiden. We opened up with Iron Maiden, Ides of March, and Wrathchild. Wow. Wrathchild. And I was like the bass player. Fucking love that shit. Damn. Um, anyway, we, oh, my band Public Enemy, I was 15, we yeah. opened up for Carnivore. Okay. Their their earliest lineup. And the Moors or something? Or no, no, it was at a fucking bar. Okay. Marginally bigger than this this uh, apartment. Okay. Um, and probably the size of your apartment right here. Yeah. Uh, called the Hangout okay. on Quentin Road in uh, Marine Park in Brooklyn, and I saw Pete, and I heard him play, and I was I was like, I was fucking mesmerized. I was never seen anything like this. I'd never heard a sound like he was old. They, he had that tuned down, distorted. The sound that became typo negative, he had that sound in 1986. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it was 1980. No, sorry. 1981 or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started roadieing for him. Oh, wow. Because okay. I just wanted to, like, I, I thought they were incredible, you know? Yeah. And this was the first band I saw that was, there was a band in my neighborhood called Crystal T. Crystal T T E E and they were okay. they were good. They they played like covers really well. They played Aerosmith and ACDC and um they were a little more rock and roll than metal. I always okay. thought they were like I liked it harder than that. Yeah. But Carnival was the first band I saw with original songs that had like a bunch of material and they had a sound. I was like, "Oh, so you could make your own thing." It's a it's possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, when you're learning, you're right. young, you're opening your mind because we yeah. close our mind on ideas. Like a lot of, yeah. how many people you know from back home or wherever you're from who would go, I could never do that. Whatever yeah. it may be. It's true. You can move to LA and go be Toby's neighbor and you guys could get together. I, I couldn't do that. My job. Yeah. Really? You can't? No, you won't. Yeah. You're afraid right. to. It's a great point. You know, but I was like, okay. So, you know, me and Pete became really close friends and Louie and, uh, uh, the original guy Keith and then he left and a guy that I was jamming with in high school named Mark Piovanetti I introduced when the, they kicked out the guitar player he was the I had a band called Stranger okay and he we were like original it was like progressive metal yeah. but thrash okay it was like it was trying to be like and in every one of these bands I was like by default, we could never find a singer. Sing. Uh, I would always be like, all right, I'll sing for now. That's how right. I ended up singing in Biohazard. Truth. Got you. So earliest versions of Biohazard was just me, me, as soon as it was me and Mio and Bobby, it was Biohazard. Okay. And Pete gave me the name because Pete was thinking about shutting down Carnivore at this point. And me and Mio were roadies for, Bio, for Carnivore. Uh, okay. And me and Pete were going to make a band and he wanted to call it the biohazard symbol of not have a name. Like oh. Prince, you know? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he tried to do with Typo Negative. He symbol. tried to just be that minus sign. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He was always idea. like a genius, Pete. Like he was thinking of yeah. an outside-of-the-box concept, you know? That's a great idea. Though. It is a great idea. Uh, yeah. But I was like, how do we tell people, yo, <laughs> come see tonight, you know? And we kind of didn't agree on that. Okay. But he gave me the symbol and the, okay. he named the band. Wow. And he also was the guy who he was, I tell people I he was that. my no, musical he mentor. No, he called me up. Yo, hippie, get a little here right now. Yeah, his voice was. I, so he called my house phone. My mother answered the phone. Evan, your friend is on the phone. The one that sounds with the deep voice. Um, 
Ida, yeah. What's up? Yo, you got to come over here right now. So I drive, get in my 72 Grand Black Primer Grand Prix, and I drive down to East 18th Street where Pete and Josh live on the same block. And Pete's got this catalog, the lab safety supply catalog, like mm-hmm. the shit you need for the pandemic yeah, yeah. 40 years earlier, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, there it is. I was looking for a name for my band. You wow. Know? We, wow. Had a, we were called technical difficulties because we were a bunch of guys who did a lot of drugs okay. and like you know always all of us drunk like everything was always band. broken it's like a punk band. Yeah, yeah yeah and it and it didn't really but in those days there was a lot of those like although our music was really serious there was also that lightheartedness of like jokingness yeah. and fun yeah too hardcore but the thing was pete Shared a rehe- I don't know if you know this. So Carnivore shared a rehearsal space with Agnostic Front. That's where okay. I was going to get to. Okay, so okay. so one day Pete goes, "Yo, we're gonna we're doing a show, uh, and you got to come with me to." Pick. I had the '72 Cadillac Fleetwood Brome. It was the only car that could fit Pete's bass amp in the back seat. Gotcha. So he said, "Yo, you got to come help me get the bass amps from the studio," and I didn't know who Agnostic Front was. It's, yeah, it's probably seen a T-shirt. Totally. But I we opened the door and we walked in. And they were in there, like young AF, you know, playing Victim in Pain, the song. Ooh. And I walked in and chills went through me. It was just, it was wow. like, damn. I was like, wow. It's like, I'm, I'm seeing something I never saw before right. again. Like, yeah. Because for me, I knew, like, I grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up going to shows at Lemoore's in Brooklyn. Yes. I saw, every, I saw Metallica's first appearance in, you damn. know, on the first record. I saw every metal band in a club, Slayer. Megadeth, yeah, um, Merciful Fate. You know, I loved, you know, anything that was metal. I didn't yeah. care. I would go to see. Were there hardcore shows there back then too at Lemoore's? There were no metal? hardcore okay. bands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were, I mean, hardcore was just at CBGBs and yeah. maybe A Seven at this time. True. And th- and people were still kind of almost calling it punk. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't really. It wasn't. And I remember uh, I went to college for one year upstate oh, New, upstate New York with Oneonta. What was your major? I didn't. I just didn't have a major. Okay, it's just like it was like the first year you go, you just go. To, I was. I just. I just got drunk and got into fights. Wow! And played in a cover band. <laughs> a cover band there too. <laughs> called U.S. Mint, and we used to play at a bar called the Library. Wow. Um. Uh. What was the point of that? Well, you played a covers band. You went to college for one year. Um, oh yeah, yeah and, and there was a guy. So I met. So I met a guy. You'll know one of these guys. I met this kid randomly. There's a kid in my class who was from. Somebody goes, "Yo, my boy from, from Sheepshead Bay. You should know another Brooklyn dude who's at the college. My boy Ian. He's like into your thing. Uh, um, um, Ian Cammy. That he was best friends with Eddie from Altercation. Okay, and they are the ones who actually is nineteen. 84, 85. They're the ones who put the Chromax demo in my hand. Oh, wow. And I was like, holy fuck. You know? Damn. I was like, this is exactly like another application of guys who could really play. Mm -hmm. And the riff sensibility that I was in and the the energy and the tempo and the breakdowns. Yeah. You know? And it was, so somewhere in between my growing up on metal and rock and carnivore and chromags and af and shit like that came biohazard you know yeah and i always saw us more metal than hardcore yeah and you know our my trajectory wasn't like like 
we the hardcore scene evolved with us around us and yes. it was like you know in that late 80s early 90s it was it became the hardcore scene it was like Lemoore's was six times bigger than CBGB's at that time yes and we could sell out CB's but when we sell out Lemoore's it didn't matter. All the alleyway crew guys and the Sunset Skins guys yeah. and the guys from from Westchester and the guys from Long Island, the guys from Jersey, and it became like a real fucking scene. And I remember, like for me, the music was the thing. But yeah. I loved the camaraderie between people. I loved knowing everybody. I loved seeing that dude that you only see at shows, and yeah. then you fuck with him, and he fucks with you. And I'll be honest, I didn't. I loved the hardcore scene so much. And I I grew out of it really quick. Gotcha. You know, um, to be honest, it was around the time when bands like H2O and like the next wave yeah. of bands got into it, and it it completely escaped me. I was just like, there's too many people talking. Mm-hmm. There's too many people talking about what is this and what the def- too many labels and definitions. You it. and me had arguments in those days totally. about you were judging to me. I felt yeah what if whether or not I was hardcore. Yeah, and I apologize. And like, I remember. I remember. But I want to talk about that. I we remember, could talk about you know, it. I remember you coming to my show in Long Island and us having a conversation about it and squashing and talking to you face to face. And I fucking love that. Yeah, because I I've was, always I, been like I was that. A young, protective. This is our scene, hardcore. Scene, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Whatever of I course. thought was super immature, and I'm glad we. I'm glad we squashed. Well, that. I did right more. Imma- jump. I did more immature things than you before. But, you but were I'm born. just saying. But like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, saying you're not. Thank you. But I'll for never that. forget that moment. You come to the PWAC and we talked about it. And it was yeah, I remember. I had my. I had my son with me who was like two. And I remember, I remember like thinking we're going to fucking fight right now because you, you had a bunch of guys with you that I also didn't like. Um, and I, was, I remember I handed my two-year-old son to a girl that I knew from shows. Uh-huh. I didn't even know her fucking name. And she looked at me. She was a girl who came to all the biohazard shows. I was like, hold him for a second. And yeah. we were talking and like, I remember I was living in Long Island yeah, at the that. time. I and that. I remember yeah. I used to be able to go. It was great because I, I, the PWAC and yeah. Sundance and there was all those shows. And those, was sick. Yeah. There were all those good shows, and I liked seeing a lot of that next wave of the music. Yeah. But a lot, like, you know, right around that era, that, like, mid-'90s, I lost my taste for hip-hop. Once, like, Jay-Z started talking about men wearing diamonds, I was done. Like, after the Wu-Tang solo records, I'm a little older than you. It didn't, yeah. it didn't resonate with me anymore. I was like, what the fuck does this have to do with growing up in the Brooklyn in the street nothing yeah. I never knew any man who wore a diamond chain <laughs> right. it was, yeah. diamond was something you bought for your wife mm. you know, if you really love her mm-hmm. you know I just didn't understand the whole bling bling thing it, as much as I like to floss in my life yeah. you know what I mean I went through my stages with, of flossing with, right of, yeah. of materially flexing in my yeah. own way <laughs> yeah. you know I've recently gone through a huge shedding of material yeah. stuff and, yeah but and I know what you're saying. It was a very... It was polarizing to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, watching like the, the, the popular hip-hop was Mace and Puffy in white suits dancing out of time mm-hmm. and everybody with like a watch. I was like, if you uh, to me, a watch was like, man, you only wore a watch if you were a chump and you worked for somebody else and you were worried about being late. I was like, I work for mm-hmm. me, motherfucker. No watch. Mm-hmm. I show up when I show up. That was, that was me, my yeah, mentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was also ignorant and hateful of everything that wasn't yeah. wasn't my exact thing. This, listen, I was protective of everything in my own way too. I would be like, yeah. I would see, you know, other groups come uh, like my pain point in Biohazard, like where where I where I lost my gratitude, right? Like somewhere in the middle of my career, you know, we would 
we were headlining festivals around the world and remember that and yeah. you know touring with Metallica and playing shows with Iron Maiden and playing you know biggest shit that was possible yeah and making money doing it too and I remember like all my mind was in that place of like always thinking about what I didn't have and in in lack rather than in abundance and gratitude you know things mm. concepts I really didn't even start learning until I was much older yeah but I, I squandered a lot of my time, like not enjoying the process, doing it more out of obligation or just thinking, well, you work hard and that's what you do, so you just keep doing this. Yeah. You know, I probably should have, you know, in, in retrospect, when, when, when Bobby left the band in like 95, 96, we should have broken up the band and I should have started a new band. Mm. But what used to kill me was I would see bands that we like inspired inspired the lincoln parks and the corns and mm -hmm. the limp biscuits and i would see them have this huge commercial success which is usually reserved for west coast bands yeah you know and i always felt like as a brooklyn band that people always looked at us kind of sideways and you know we didn't have a good reputation like yeah. the record you know we were signed to warner brothers but the people were terrified of us i'm you sure know what i mean we were <laughs> yeah. fucking young we were fucking young hooligans you know yeah. what i mean and we were that was kind of our whole thing is that we were going to flaunt that whole not give a fuck thing. Yeah. Because it was real. What's know? interesting about Biohazard and the influences you mentioned, it, it, you can hear some of that in Biohazard, but even the first couple records, I mean, we'll get to that, but like your bounce and your rhythm and the two singers and how you and Billy's voice both complement each other so well. And that was something different back then. It, it, and you're, it wasn't like it was just super fast and medley with leads. You had, you had, like, you had like bounce. Like it had a bounce to yeah. it. Well, you know? the truth is, a lot of that, you know, I loved hip hop. Yeah, and yeah. I of course. Grew you up see in, that. You know, yeah. I, loved, I loved disco and I loved funk. I still listen to old school funk, but I, yeah. I mean, right now I'm doing a dance music project. Yeah. You know, I don't have any boundaries on any of it, but for me, like, I'm one of those people that it's always about the drums and everything has to be funky at some point. And if it doesn't make me dance or head knock, it's not going to make you dance or head knock. Yeah. So, and I'm a tough critic. And Danny, who wasn't the original drummer in Biohazard, I knew him longer than I knew Mio. He was also from Canarsie, from yeah. Brooklyn. Danny was from East 94th Street and I lived on East 108th Street. Yeah. And I used to walk down, he'd see me by the park. He used to hang out at. Totally. Danny took a stint as the drummer in that band, Crystal T, from my neighborhood. Oh. <laughs> like after we were growing up, I was surprised okay. he was playing with them. Great and drummer, Danny man. was more, Danny was the greatest. And Danny was, well, he's still great, but, but Danny's more of like, Excuse I always me. thought Danny was more of like a, a rock and roll drummer. Like Danny's style was more like Van Halen, hmm. right? But Danny knew all the fundamental Zeppelin and Sabbath yeah. and the, you know, the shit that we grew up on. And me and him played jam together when we were little kids. Like wow. me being like 13, not really knowing how to play the bass and him being like 10 or 11, yeah. you know, probably being a better drummer than I was a bass player at the time. And we had a band called Freak Show when we were probably like 15 <laughs> or something. Like, so many bands, like crazy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in Brooklyn, there was so many musicians. It was just, you go down to the park and be like, yo, you heard those guys over there? They're looking to jam. They're looking for a bass player, bro. Those, the two brothers. Wow. You know, cool. they, they, they really shred, they really rip, you yeah. know? And you were looking for guys who could really shred. But Danny always had such a great meter and such a great groove. And like, if you're a musician, you can hear the difference between a great drummer and oh, yeah. an okay drummer. Yeah. If you're not a musician, you really can't hear right. it just you like the song more but i promise you there's no song you love where the beat isn't great 
It's true. You know, you yeah, could have a, you know, there's no great band that you've ever liked that doesn't have a great drummer. Right. You know, it's true. But when you hear somebody who's really, really on and you, you guys play would sing too, man. The bass and the drums are so yeah, important. Yeah. Obviously, me and but, Danny locked really well, and you know, my goals for Biohazard once was. You know, I wanted to be the biggest band in the world. Like, I didn't see this as like a niche thing in the in the beginning. All I wanted to do was play at, at, at Lemoore's and CBGB's. <laughs> and I, I'll never yeah. forget. You know, we, we we like we got a gig in at WUST Radio Hall in Wust. Washington D.C. at the Wust Hall. Big spot, man. Yeah. And we brought we 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 couldn't find a backdrop, so we 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 got an American flag that was <laughs> it was the big one from the Air Force Base. Wow. So it was like bigger than the place. I remember, you know, going going there. Our truck broke down. I was like eighteen, Damn. and we got our first tattoo. I got my my biohazard See, tattoo right there, was my yeah. first tattoo. Wow, you know, man. but uh, it's awesome. You know, we we were really lucky. We we, you know, we worked really fucking hard. Yeah, and we promoted, and there was no social media in those days. No, man. So we would make up fucking print up our own flyers, and you know, me and Billy were we're like-minded in that we wanted to fucking promote the shit out of it. And me, and, DIY, me yeah. and, and me, Billy, Bobby and Danny were all guys from like Bobby in his neighborhood and me in my neighborhood. Like we knew everybody and we right. used to hang yeah. out at Rockaway beach at one sixteen, where like all the, you know, rock metal, hardcore punk people would get together at the beach. There was like a guy with a pirate flag and a boom box. <laughs> and Sick. we used to hang out at the beach, you know? Yeah. And, that's where like the Brooklyn guys and the Queens guys became friends, see, you know, and that's man. where like our, our network started. I mean, you know, our first gig biohazard was um, Tommy Victor from prong, prong. Yeah. booked biohazard to open for prong at the pyramid club. Wow. On Avenue a, yeah. Yeah, and, sir. like whatever it's fucking East fifth street or some shit. Um, Damn. 1987. I want to say the first one? 87 or 88, something like that. Wow. Before the demo, before the demo wow. was even out. And, uh, and what was the lineup then? It was me, Mio, Bobby, and Billy. Wow. Okay. And how did Billy get into the fold? Like, um, it was really weird. How I met Billy was I used to go to the Cat Club. I remember the Cat Club on <laughs> um, whatever night that was. There that. was a Fridays or two. There was like a rock night. This is like Guns and Roses was big and like. I remember that time. You know. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I, I you know, club. and I remember like at this point. I'm I'm in a fucking hardcore band. Yeah. But all the pretty girls go to see Guns N' Roses and they go to see LA Guns and why. Yeah. So I would go to Lemoore's to meet like girls who would drive in from Jersey, girls who would drive in from Long Island. Yeah. Like, you know, girls with big hair. Mm-hmm. That was the you time, know? man. Yeah. I love that shit. The mm-hmm. 80s shit. Um, <laughs> and they let you in the club and buy drinks even though you're not old enough. You okay. know, it was a time. That was your spot. Yeah. And, and I remember... Uh, at the cat club there was a dude i knew who uh this dude danny he was in some kind of like glam band like he was in one of those bands like in lower east side like a bunch of really skinny tall guys with long black hair they looked like they came from another you know another country like these guys were so cool (laughs) and like i didn't even really know if if i liked their music but i liked this dude and we it was just like somebody you would see week after week at the club in the men's room and then he was like, yo, what's happening with your band, man? I know you were like putting that band together. I was like, I was like, yeah, we're just looking for like another guy. Like I'm looking for like, you know, another guitar player mm-hmm. or maybe a bass player and I'll sing. I don't know. And he's he worked at the Pink Pussycat Boutique in okay. the village. I remember that spot. In the West Village. And he goes, yeah, this guy Billy 
this skinhead guy, Billy. Wow. wow. From uh, Billy the Skinhead. <laughs> uh, and that wasn't a bad word in those days yeah. either. No, no. It wasn't like that. No. You know what I mean? It was New York City. Totally. And you know where it came from. Yeah. But um, I was like, what do you, you know? And anyway, the, he introduced us and he came to audition. Wow. And actually, we went to his house and he auditioned for us at his house. He just stood, played, he had a washburn guitar. And uh, and me and Mio went to check him out, and we were like, "This guy's fucking crazy." Let's let's. Billy had a huge fucking tattoo. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he man. had this huge dragon like wrapped yes. around his arm, his whole back. <laughs> and I looked at this guy. I was like, "This guy's fucking sick." I was like, "I want this guy in my band." Like, this so guy's awesome, so man. cool. Right. And like immediately, we were like a little micro gang. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? We just were like, we're just gonna get as many tattoos as possible as fast as we can. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna get into fights. We're gonna get fucked up. We're gonna play music. You know, we wanted to live the lifestyle. You know, and it, it was a lot of fun, man. And our our second gig was at was at uh, CB's, right? like with Prong and Sheer Terror or oh, something. Wow. That makes sense. Yeah. And then we started playing Lemores, and we became kind of like the house band at Lemores because yeah. all of us would be calling every person we know, walking up and down the beach, walking around the streets. I worked at the pizza place at Lenny and John's Pizzeria and I used to keep my flyers on the fucking counter mm. and I used to tell the guys, hey, anybody comes in here that you think might like come to the, and we, until we at one point, it's kind of how Biohazard got signed really. Yeah. Mary Gormley, okay. my, our A&R person from Geffen that didn't sign us so we could sign the Warner Brothers. Our first record was, you know, on a little Maze, rec Maze Records yeah, from Maze. Canada. They never paid us. They ripped us off. Damn. Typical like, Typical sad music story. Right. You know, album sells about a million worldwide copies. And, the first one, right? Yeah. Damn. Um, but the point was, um, we were, like, we drew more in Brooklyn. And, you know, New York was the hardest place in the world for anybody to make it in anything, yeah, totally. right? Totally. So what did Frank Sinatra say? If I could make it there, <laughs> yeah. I could make it anywhere, right? Facts, yeah. Facts. <laughs> and we weren't, no one knew us outside of New York, really, but we were selling out Lemoore's as an unsigned band, as a band with a little baby record, yeah. as an unsigned band, really. And, uh, you know, A&R people would come from Manhattan. They were terrified to come. Nobody came to Brooklyn. Right. Back then, yeah. Back then, they would come with bodyguards and, you know, a bunch of people in black cars, you know. Yeah. And they, <laughs> you know, and you got like, you know, you got the Sunset Kids sitting outside, you know, with golf clubs ready to beat up anybody that looks different, you know. <laughs> I know I'm there. I'm holding a golf club too. I'm, you yeah. Know, um, yeah, it was different to go to Brooklyn back then for sure, yeah, man. It, yeah. I, rem oh, yeah. I remember that we would we would get put on all these bills because some band that we loved that we was waiting to come maybe wasn't drawing. Mm. So we would be the opener for any right. any that show that sense. wasn't drawing well. We would give you a late ad. Yeah, that's excellent and smart. And that's where I knew everybody that you and I know collectively. To totally, I met yeah. them all at Lemoore's yep. at the show in the pit and we all had friendships and yeah. been through shit together and, and I I remember ahead. listen I remember you know f you know 5 years into Biohazard we were young touring in a Winnebago. That's how I met you. You yeah, were out we, tour, Toby was out on tour with Sick of It All. That was a crazy we, tour. We dude. did like 60 shows like 50 Woo! shows in like 50 days all around America. Minus was that was a crazy tour. Minus Isaac. It was a wild. Wow. Minus was on tour with Biohazard. And I was with Sick of It All with Isaac and then it was all Sheer Terror was on the tour too, I think. 
Yeah. Crazy tours, man. Fuck, man. Before it was the sheer internet. terror was on the East Coast half and Fear Factory was yeah. on the West Coast half. Wow. And wow. during that tour, I don't know if you remember, uh, the, the dude, Andrew, the bass player from Fear Factory, broke his arm. Okay. And they were looking for a bass player. And we had a day off in LA and I ran into Christian. Oh, I was going to say. I go, I go, what are you doing here? I don't even know you were in California. He goes, yeah, I left Belgium. I'm here. I'm looking to join a band. I what go, band was he from? Channel Zero. It was, okay. a Euro, it was like okay. a Belgian He's a cool kid. metal crossover band. Okay, yeah. And he was a dope kid. I just yeah. knew he was a dope dude. We were always like friendly. He was like yeah. one of those dudes that he knew everybody in every band. He was yeah. like a local guy in Belgium that, you know, he kind of had a hip hop swag. And totally. He was a chill dude. And I remember I was in, I was sitting in a rental car and I ran into him. Um, we were talking about Bronze Age or some like. Early <laughs> Venice streetwear thing. Oh, like, I remember that. Yeah, bronze. Yeah, yeah. Because me and him were into that kind of, you know. That was like original streetwear shit, bronze. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. listen, Biohazard did an ad for Fresh Jive wow. in like 89. Holy shit. And I might remember that. Actually, I remember yeah. getting free shit from like Stussy and like yeah. all these streetwear brands out here. Gat. And I like remember Gat <laughs> Hazmat and all We wore the sock hats And all that yeah, shit Yeah Kick five, five triple soul <laughs> Those hats hey, He worked at Fat Farm and shit Yeah Yeah Hey man I was with I was with Russell When he When he was You know that Russell and Leo Are from Rush Artist Management They You know They Scott worked for them and Yeah Rest in peace Scott Koenig Rest in peace Scott yeah. Koenig Yes But uh, you know We were managed by Def Jam That's how we got into All the collaborations With Onyx Ooh get into that It's so I know I man I mean that was, that was Is that how Nas was wearing The Biohazard shirt Well there was Nas was wearing The Biohazard shirt Because I'm trying to remember Exactly how that happened But like They would invite us To a lot of shit Yeah And it was funny Because this is like You know Early 90s And like they would be like, I would hang out. I didn't, I didn't know where to go. When I wasn't on tour, I didn't know what to do. I'm not a yeah. sit-around-the-house guy. I would get up in the morning and go to Def Jam. Okay. You know, I, I would go, like, you know, work out, eat breakfast, and go there and see what was going on. And I would chill in Leor's office. I was chill with it's Scott. On, uh, Broadway. Well, in those days, we were on Elizabeth Street. Oh, okay. I remember this. It's right close across from Mott, but where Stigma lives, that, that area. Yeah, yeah right yeah. around there. And then they moved many times, but... You know, you hang out at Def Jam, obviously, and you're going to see Flav, and you're going to see yeah. Chuck, and you're going to see Big Daddy Kane, and you're going and Eric B is going to roll through and give you a fucking pound like this, Sick. and and you know, and D Nice is going to go, yo, you want to come run play basketball with us at the park, and you go, yeah, and now you're playing with Q Tip and and Buster, wow, and Fife, and you and you know, but you know, and Warren G's in town, and he comes through, <laughs> and too. they would be like, yo, there's a shoot going on, um. I think the thing with Nas, well, we knew Nas from, you know, just from, we knew Nas, we knew Mob Deep, we knew yeah. all those guys. They all knew Biohazard. We were like the band. We were like those white guys with the guitars. Mm. You know what I mean? And Onyx and us, you know, we did Slam. They would come to our shows and come out. We filmed that video for the Slam remix at Academy. I was there, but it was amazing, dude. Yeah, yeah you were there and, you know. It was awesome. Red Man was there, I think. Method Man was there, maybe. Of course. Yeah. People were coming to check out what people are doing. You know, it's funny because to this day, I'm still mashing up kind of hip hop and metal and yeah. stuff. You know, I just put a song on uh, on my Instagram. I don't think I'm even going to release it, just a demo I made. Yeah. You know, and I just like, I never really share stuff. And like, I made a conscious decision that this is the year for me. You know, over the pandemic, I went through a lot of things. I went through my third divorce. Yeah. A lot of life changes, a lot of soul searching, you know, 
tied that to like a midlife crisis and I, I had <laughs> had huge success and a bunch of difficult things all at the same time in business yeah and challenges and uh you know and it it all i decided i'm going to really put my voice forward you know and yeah. really start you know engaging with my people on social media i have a podcast i'm launching yep and i'm working on a book right now bad seinfeld's a podcast bad seinfeld you'll bad be seinfeld. you'll be hearing about it you'll <laughs> i got my first two guests locked in right now yeah, yeah. <laughs> and is, is are you related are you related to jerry seinfeld is i am related to jerry okay. seinfeld no jerry seinfeld's grandfather and my grandfather were brothers wow get dude. out really yeah. i've never met jerry seinfeld <laughs> we've never been in the same room i actually my ex-wife wow, tara wow. patrick my second wife yes um who i used to manage and was the biggest porn star in the world for a few years yes um she was a huge, huge Jerry Seinfeld fan, mm. and she used to really come to me at once a week. You know, I can't believe yeah. that you can't introduce me to Jerry. I just can't believe it. <laughs> she was very Hollywood, Tara. You know, <laughs> like how we met was super Hollywood. Yeah. You know, she somebody from Playboy TV. She had her own show. Mm -hmm. Contacted somebody at HBO. It's like I'll have my people contact your people. Wow. And I got a some guy from HBO and the other thing HBO people are from New York and they're sophisticated mm -hmm. you know what I mean these are like highbrow yeah you know people and who think every you know anybody in California is an idiot to begin with and somebody from <laughs> Playboy is calling and they're like some woman keeps calling here insisting she's a producer for Playboy and that one of their stars want to meet one of our stars. She saw you in Oz. She saw her. me in uh, Oz. Yeah. I, saw you, I saw you naked in Oz too, bro. I was like, <laughs> that's my dude. I saw him. That was crazy. Anyway, go ahead. Anyway, I ended up getting into porn over that. So. I know, I know. But the, the point... So, real quick, real quick, I'm not going to blow up the spot. Somebody in H2 rented something on their TV in a hotel once. I'm not going to say their name and you, you, you came on the screen. Anyway, let's keep going. Probably not the best thing when you see one of your friends in porn. <laughs> yeah. You think it's the first time? Listen, I used to get calls from like some of my like... Yeah. Some of my guys from the old neighborhood, like, hey, yo, Ev, it's me, you know, Fat Nick from, from the neighborhood. Yeah. Listen, I'm here in Las Vegas. I'm in the hotel room with a bunch of hookers and coke. Oh, my and God, dude. I'm over here, and this girl's sucking my blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I turn on the TV, and boom, there's your fucking fat, hairy Jew ass. There you go. You know? <laughs> oh, I'm, like, I'm like, okay. You know, nobody God. nobody made you rent that movie, buddy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's go back for one second. So yeah, the, let's, well, the, so when the first album drops, want, yes. the, how those shows, like do you guys blowing up at that point, the first album drops? I mean, the first album drops and we went on tour with Mucky Pup oh, in, wow. in Europe. And I didn't know who Mucky Pup was. I never heard their music. Yeah, when I first heard it, I didn't like it. I, I thought it was corny. Bad, and they were so him. big in Europe. They were? Jesse. They had... Jesse of Monkey Pop. I, I remember that name Jesse. of the band. Chris. Were they was funky? He the singer? Chris was the singer. Dan Nastasi was the guitar player. He had some other bands. A guy named a guy named Dave. A guy named Sean who passed away recently. Mm. Sean killed. Oh Kendall. yeah, Sean from Dougie Dog. Punk. Yeah, recipe yeah. Sean. Oh, right. Around the same time I as Scott. I think he was Monkey yeah. Pop. I'm trying to remember which I think you're guy. right too. Yeah. And Chris's brother Booge was the drummer, but that was our first exposure to going on tour. They were like, you guys are going on tour in a van, two bands in a tiny school bus van for 11 weeks in Europe and you'll have yeah. zero days off. It gives me anxiety thinking about it. Holy shit. And I want to know why I have mental health issues. You know. So that was your first <laughs> Europe tour. Fr yeah, and it was, in, it was some nights it was 10 people and some nights it was 800 people. And everybody was so enamored with like, I could feel it. We had something. Okay. We were a little different. 
from what was going on in the moment. Totally. And it was like, I don't know. We 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 had like we started defining our sound, yeah, and, yeah, for and sure. working towards what would be urban discipline, which would be like a <laughs> game you know, changer. Uh, uh, it would be like our defining album. I think every totally. band has the one album that kind totally. of def- defines their identity, if you wish. Mm. Yeah, you know what I mean. And when I work with artists, whether I'm working as a manager or a consultant or producing a song or just giving somebody my opinion, I'm like, you need to know who you are. You need to know what your message is, and you need to know how you feel. Hundred percent. How you when you express yourself, and you better believe you're the greatest in the whole world, and you better believe you're Kanye, because yeah. if you don't believe, nobody's gonna believe. You. Right. Yeah. You know. So you do that tour, and you come back, and th- and then. Well, we did that tour, then we came back, and we toured the U.S. with Creator. Wow. Awesome. And I was a huge sh- Creator sh- fan, and it guys. was like, and for some reason, it was like you know how the surfer guys they do that you know endless summer. We yeah. lived in like endless winter for years. <laughs> we would just tour wherever it was cold. Fuck. You know, and I, I remember it was like, I mean, those early days, it was really fun. You know, we were a bunch of young guys on the road, you know, having a great time and seeing the world and getting, yeah. you know, making a living. It wasn't, it was never glamorous. You right. know what I mean? It was always just scrape by and make a few bucks. And, yeah. You know, and then for us, what really turned it around was we made the punishment video we made, we, made the, we made the punishment video one of the most played videos ever in the history of a headbangers ball was actually the most played wow. yeah the most played ricky one, yeah. rackman told me the the, the close second was november rain wow wow ricky might have lied to me to fill my ego which at the time which at the time was <laughs> which at the time was unfillable um, yeah the punishment video which I was on tour with six. I was in the next one, but that one. All, so if you look at that video, all of our friends are in that video. Friends who were just starting bands. Friends who already been in bands. Like yeah. the it's cameos. A who's is, who. It's fucking. It's like insane, all the guys from bro. Marauder and all the guys from this. Everything, and, dude. Madball, Isaac, everybody, dude. It was. It was in, it's such an ill and, video. And dude. this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to make a video at the time. We cared about making a video. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. I got to be honest. It's you know it's hard to care that much about anything yeah. you know especially in this day and age we're so oversensitized by access to digital media you know what i mean everything everything you know they don't even make real movies everything is cgi now you know mm-hmm. it doesn't even feel real but the point yeah. was i wanted to i wanted to do something that was in between the warriors yeah and how our scene really was and i wanted to map brooklyn even though we shot it on the, the queen's side yeah most of it <laughs> we did shoot a bunch in Brooklyn just on, on pretense. It was a big internal argument <laughs> okay. of the authenticity. Yeah, sure. Um, but the bridge scene, everybody jumped, just everything about it was just Yeah, like, and nothing was planned. That was the whole thing. You didn't, you didn't have to say, everybody do yeah. this at this part. Yeah. Any, in those days, everything was so authentic. If somebody even said something like that, everybody would have looked and been like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. What do you, what do you mean? Yeah. You, you, you know? It every those guys those guys in that video were the guys who defined what was going to be the style of music, fashion, how to behave at a show. Totally for the next ten years, those were the guys who were the the pioneers of you know, like it's I crazy, er, I very early on knew that if you were going to be in a band and you were going to be big, you needed to really be you needed to be ingrained in the scene. You needed to yeah. Every night that I wasn't playing, I went to a show. Me too. You know, I went backstage and introduced myself to. Yeah. I 
snuck my way backstage because I wanted to meet Mike Muir or somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Really funny. I just uncovered all these old pictures and I'm building my website right now. Yeah. Um, I kind of neglected my, my personal career for a bunch of time. You know, I got kind of like, I took a, an intentional hiatus mm -hmm. of like self-promotion for a while because I really wanted to start reinventing and yeah. coming out with totally brand new ideas. But um, um, I found all these old pictures of like me with yeah, somebody yeah, yeah. and it's absolutely incredible. I have, I found a, a, two pictures of me and Mike Muir that are like, like almost like 20 years apart. Wow. Like the first time we met and then it's the awesome. last time we met. <laughs> and we'll we, be like making the same face you know yeah we got you know he's got his bandana i have my hood you know both times it's like really funny it's fucking cool yeah, yeah. but that, i look in that video too like and how my son's like obsessed with carhartt and how we all, everybody's rocking car we all rocked it back then it was like we rocked so it because it was cold and it was cheap i know with Army i mean Navy it was stores. warm yeah and it was rugged and in the back of my mind i always thought you know because i used to ride this i take the subway a lot even still in my mind there was always like a good carhartt might like deflect like a knife attack. <laughs> yeah, it was so thick. Yeah, it was hoodies, almost everything. like in your mind you're like, this is almost borderline Kevlar. Like the parts where the pockets are double. Yeah, somebody would have to really go straight in and like with a lot of force. You know, <laughs> it's crazy how big it is now with Carhartt Whip and that got rebranded to streetwear thing. My son's like, I'm like, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, like, you know, what? you asked about the Nas thing. So yeah, yeah. Um, because you obviously have ADD Tup also. Tupac's Tupac. in that photo too, in the yeah, background. Yeah, but in, no, he's, the T-shirt they made, they cut Pac out of the photo. Mm. It's strange. But I remember we gave Nas the shirt. I gave Nas the shirt, at, I think, at the Def Jam office. Yeah, that's what I was thinking you know, too, yeah. Like probably one of those things where a bunch of those dudes I mentioned were you know, playing basketball yeah. or somebody, you know, or they'd be like, yo, you know, Eric B and Rakim are making a video and all the Def Jam people would you would you would show up you want yeah. to meet people and it was an exciting time in music there was no social media the only access you had was in person yeah you know 100 percent. so you know for me it was it felt good that you know the second time i met q-tip he came right over he's like yo how you been man how's your band you know cool. like commu yeah. community right totally and um um so yeah, Nas, yeah. feeling something right now, feeling something about that. Yeah, so I remember, you know, magical, I, I remember man. giving a, a shirt to Flavor Flav, the first person I ever gave. Wow. We were, I was at the Def Jam office. He pulls up in a six-wheel Astro van, sparkle green, <laughs> blancing dance hall music, yeah. so loud it's shaking the street. He gets out of the fucking van with the clock on and the big glass, Hard. and he Ill. comes in and he's in the office and he's doing his whole Flavor thing, and I'm in awe. Because Yo Bum Rest the Show is my shit. Sick. And, okay. and I go over, it, I'm with Bobby, and I go, yo, let's go give him a shirt, man. We had the Across the Tracks shirt. Sick. The wrong side of the track shirt, like 89. <laughs> White, long sleeves. Sick. Right? Tour dates on the back. Yeah. I go, yo, Flav, my man. I'm Evan from Biohazard, and Bobby's like, yeah, man, we just got signed. We're hoping someday we could blow up like you guys. I go, maybe you could rock this shirt, Flav, sometime when you're doing your thing, you know? And he looks at the shirt, he turns it around, and he goes, uh-uh, and he throws it back in my face. He goes, he goes, I ain't wearing that shit until you sign it. You better sign that shit to my man, oh Flav. My God, he dude. goes, because I want to tell people I knew you because you probably going to blow up and forget about me. Flavor wow. Flav. And I was like, wow, this is the coolest guy I ever met. You know? <laughs> Damn, oh, man. man. 
It's fucking amazing. And, and he used man. to rock the shirt for real. Wow. He used to rock the shirt. That's I mean, and then we can take it to obviously Run DMC, Aerosmith, and then Public Enemy, Anthrax, and then Biohazard Onyx, which was a total game changer. I think oh, the yeah. Bionic shit, dude, with harder music. With hip hop, you yeah, know what I mean? Because because hip hop and hardcore, same it comes from the same place. Yeah. I feel like it's such. I mean, I loved the Anthrax cover yeah. of, of Public Enemy, but it was a cover. Yeah, right. You right. know, Facts. and 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 That's I didn't true. really compare it. I just I put it in the same lane. I mean, they they did that first. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know me, I always kind of rapped as a vocalist, totally, because I was not confident as a singer, mm. and I was like, well, I'll just kind of like rap. Because it's kind of street and it's kind of you know, and it worked. It worked yeah. out. It and worked. It, no, but it became my style. Totally. You know what I mean? And it's funny. In my older age, I like to sing much more melodically, and like my last band was super melodic, and um, I always come back to it. Yeah. And even some of the new shit I'm working on right now, it's kind of not rap, like to be like a rapper, but like you know, from my hip hop influence, like the kind 100%. of ry rhythmic rhythmic vocals you know and that's what i think biohazard really did it really it brought those t t together even though it had been done before but the 90s was hip-hop well, was the best in the 90s we loved it so much but new york was the melting shred. pot of yeah. hip-hop and hardcore together but i mean getting in the studio with onyx to do the judgment night soundtrack right, right. great fucking and then soundtrack getting in the, when we did bionics we were in the studio together it wasn't just a yeah. remix you know we got it and we worked on a bunch of shit i mean i played some bass on some of their tracks i used to play with jam master j you know some bass wow he would sample it i think it's my bass on that song shifty shifty low down, down gritty a grime <laughs> shifty, shifty i'm in that video man of course you are Fuck. of course you I are got, so i got to be, wait let's go back a little bit so yeah punishment hold on go back we were together in the onyx video <laughs> in the compton. onyx slam video in compton out here you know dude me? me you Isaac and minus you me Isaac and minus were were the only non-onyx and non-local, you know. I showed my son the video the other day. He's like, where are you? I'm right there. I'm moving around. But people drove and driving up going, yo, get the fuck out of here. Because yeah, some guy rolled up on us and said, you motherfuckers need to get out of here. Because this is a like blood name. He goes, I go, I go, why? We're just doing a music video. Old black dude, he goes, this is a blood neighborhood. And you're with those guys. He pointed to honest guys. Those guys are here wearing these black and blue fucking rags. He goes, you're all about to get shot up. He goes, I'm even stupid for stopping to talk to you because you didn't get up. Early get 90s, up. man. We were on like Slauson and Toadin. Like in oh, early like 90s. It was ill, dude. It was ill. We had a, we had some some Cadillac lowrider car <laughs> jumping up and down and me and Toby. <laughs> and he's oh, like, it was crazy. Yeah. It was insane. Fuck. It was cool. And that, 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 that slam and they video were, was they, massive too. They invited us because they wanted us to slam around and bring the culture of <laughs> hardcore. It was true. They would be like, yo, could you show us how to how to make it like they wanted to make it like a punishment yeah. no they wanted yeah. to make their videos like punishment yeah right. yeah absolutely and, and i was like, like i go it's different for us because everybody in that video kind of knows each other mm. you know but uh, yeah. onyx onyx brought a new energy to it oh, because they were. they were leor and russell called us to a meeting with onyx and scott and they said listen you leor was talking he's like you guys are the most hardcore band in the world and you guys are the most hardcore rappers in the world and we're going to put you together in the studio to create something. It was dope. Wow, man. And it was Shy, Skill, Shy Skills yep. and Jam him. Master J and... Fuck, that video. Yeah, just yeah the remix of that and then the Slam video, all that was just happening so fast. It was, fast. And it was played a lot. You know, I what's know. funny is I never really talk about these things because I'm, I'm such in a life 
place where I'm really into the present moment. Right. And I love reminiscing and about that's these And that's why you feel the emotion of it. Yeah. yeah. It's I, real, lo- dude. I, I loved, it's funny, I don't really reminisce about this with a whole lot of people because I appreciate it, most man. of the people that I talk to day to day are a lot younger than me. Yeah. Right, right. You know, I have my one friend, Ross, who's my age, who lives out here. He just visited me in Tulum for three weeks. Yeah. But I moved to Mexico a few months ago. Yeah. And I totally on some spiritual shit. Off the grid type shit, yeah. But this shit's so important. Not off the grid. Just, you know, I think think in the pandemic, we all learned a lot. Totally. No, no doubt. You know, we all learned whatever it is we learned. My takeaway was I didn't really need an office with 15 people in it Mm. for any reason, for anything ever. Yeah. Nor do I want to have that type of attachment in my life. Love that. I was, you know, I spent it. I spent the the last year. I want to say the last year and a half of the pandemic, living in the Hollywood Hills, and just working out and hiking every day, and going and, uh, and just like going through huge amount of emotions and recognizing like the universe pointing me in different directions and mm-hmm. like doing for me things that I would didn't even have the courage to do on my own ending businesses and relationships yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. suddenly I start to open, open my eyes and realize this is like big change is happening in my life and I need to like either fight it or embrace it yeah and I decided to start like embracing change and it was really powerful for me and it made it so easy to like you know why do we why do people fear change you know mm-hmm I mean, I grew up, you know, my parents were the kind of people they tried to keep everything really consistent and steady because right. they, my, you know. Structure and stability. Yeah, well, my dad yeah. didn't have that growing up, so he wanted yeah. to make sure that we had that. And, you know, for me, like, I never really had a routine. I was in a fucking band for 25 years, yeah. you know. And the last bunch of years I've been living in L.A., I was managing my ex-wife, Lupe, who's a DJ. Yeah. Um, and... I was, you know, I had my last band, Attica 7. And yep. We did a bunch of touring with Rob Zombie and Five Finger Death Punch and Avenged Sevenfold. And I realized during that, pro- we had a great time. I loved the music and yeah. I loved the guys. But we all kind of looked at each other at one point. We were like, maybe just, you know, maybe starting another band at this point in our lives to like the amount of work it would take to break yeah. a new, like heavy band. Totally. And especially, you know, we kind of just looked at each other and we were like, we're just going to chill on this right now. Mm-hmm. And we never really picked it up. And then the pandemic happened and our producer and one of the guys in the band overdosed and died. Oh, wow. And it was really upsetting. We never released a lot of the music. Damn. And uh, and these are people I love. My boy Gus. Rest in peace, Gus, you know. Yeah. So... Uh, I took, a, for the first time in my life, a break from making music. And I started doing some hip-hop, and I didn't really connect with what I was trying to do. Like, I, yeah. for the, like when I was young, I always knew exactly what I wanted to do. Right. Yeah. And here was the first time in my life, I'm like, I'm not really sure. And this mm-hmm. is a new feeling. Yeah. So what does that mean? Enjoy the exploration. Enjoy the process of maybe doing a new inventory of yourself and going, okay, you're not the same person you were when you started your last music career or your mm-hmm. first, you know, you're an evolved, hopefully, version yeah. of yourself. You you know more, you've had more experiences, good and bad. Mm-hmm. And figuring out what I wanted to do, I mean, it's funny because when I got to Tulum, 
my next door neighbor is a producer and a DJ randomly okay. who I met through another friend. And why Tulum? How'd you get it there? Why there? You know, um, I went to Tulum for the first time about three, three and a half years ago. Just fell in love with the place. Yeah. I don't know. There's a, you know, they say that's where the aliens landed and the Mayan, <laughs> the Mayans and the aliens built some pyramids there. Okay. You know, I'm not a the world's biggest conspiracy theorist, you know, but there's an energy there that I feel. Yeah. I, fe I feel different when I'm there. Yeah. I seen the footage of like from your birthday and just see you on the beach and working out and all the beautiful, healthy lifestyle you live in. It's awesome, man. Uh, you know, man, it's like you start to realize, you know, this is all the life you have left. One of my best friends passed away. You were saying it before recently. the party. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my boy, Granville Adams. Rest in peace, Granville. Um, yeah. He got cancer, caught it late. And I was really fortunate to spend time with a guy as he passed away with a lot of dignity. Yeah. Um, hold on. Okay, it's second. all good. Oh no, it's all good. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Take it. Go ahead. I can. I. I couldn't get my glasses on. I looked at the phone. <laughs> it just looked like. It just looks like a light. Yeah. I don't need the glasses to see you guys, but yeah. I can't see. I can't read. I can't anything. do phones either. Yeah, that's why right. I can't. Yeah. Nothing. I can see you now. I just have the bifocals, but yeah. yeah I need to read. I Those are sick glasses too. Yeah. Yeah. So your friend has passed away. My friend passed away and really got me thinking about life. Yeah. It got me thinking about how precious time is. And it got me thinking that I don't like, I lose interest in things as the older I get. Yeah. The, you know, the more experiences I have, it takes more to really get my attention. Yeah. To hold my attention. So I like building things and creating things, but I don't really love managing it or going into like long workflow over it. Mm -hmm. You know, when I built, built my first adult company, yeah. you know, I was really into running the company and doing the deals and doing the production and doing the appearance, like doing the, all the work. Yeah. And like, I did that already. I don't want to do it ever again. I don't want did it with I, your band from the beginning. Yeah. I, I just mean, I've, I've done things in different verticals and yeah. I like to continue exploring you know, I love acting and I would love more opportunities in acting. I know. But you I killed it. hate, hate auditioning mm. and Hollywood yeah. and trying to be a guy that looks like me. It's all tattooed, <laughs> yeah. trying to fit in a square peg in a round hole. And Hollywood is so fucking stuck up and bullshit. Mm. They're so like, there's a bunch of roles that I went up for that I didn't get because I was in porn. At ah, some point, I got you, and I'm like, why? Why does that fucking matter to anybody? Yeah, it's, like it's funny because now it's all like sex worker empowerment, and you know, it's 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 funny. Things go full circle around. Like you were talking about Carhartt or something. Yeah, everything that I threw away is now in fashion. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. You know, and hey, I'll tell you what else is interesting. You know, when we were getting tattooed, mm. all of us yes. here, you know, whenever you started, yep. It was a counterculture thing. It wasn't. Oh yeah, totally. Some, it wasn't a conversation starter. No. You know, we were a bunch of guys with our shirts off, all tattooed, walking around the street. People and, didn't want to talk to us, or they, yeah, yeah totally. no, people would cross the street and go to the other side because hundred percent because the only people with tattoos in those days were convicts, bikers, or other military or sailors or whatever. Right. Whatever it was. Exactly. Yeah, but cool. sailors weren't sleeved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. People would look at you and be like. I didn't realize that it was going to become so big in pop culture. And I worked with Inc. Magazine for years. And, yeah. and the advent of like social media and athletes and urban culture right. and hip-hop artists becoming tattooed. T 
tattoos is now like a social status thing. Mm. It was funny because when I split up with, I was married twice back to back. Yeah. And although I didn't have very conventional marriages, you know, I was very much in love with my wives and I hadn't actually been single. Although I never, I was never monogamous. You know, I was, I had an extraordinary lifestyle. Yeah. Um, To say the least. I had never been single in 20 years. Wow. And I was thinking in the back of my head, wow, Evan, you're kind of getting old now, bro. And you're old tattooed. Like who's going to, Who's gonna want to hang out with you? And then I find <laughs> out that that it's like really cool to be an older tattooed guy. Yeah, it's almost single. like an accessory for people now too, in a sense. Yeah, you know, it's like so part many, of it. So because it's you're a type now. Yeah, it's like there's so many people who like slide into your DM and go, "Love your tattoos." And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> I'm like that's really funny. Um, that was that was not the intention. Um, it was, in those days, it was keep people away. Yeah. Um, how, how did the Oz thing happen? Was that an audition? Um, no, it was really funny. Um, so, you killed that man. That was a, thanks, that was yeah. a fucking. That was thanks. I had a good beautiful. run. I had a great run. Yeah, on I was that. like, how many seasons were you on? I that? kept th- six seasons. Yeah, six seasons. I wow. kept thinking, I, you know, in my mind, I thought this was like, oh, this will this show will be on the air for twenty years, and right. then I'll spin off. It's get a my springboard. Own. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll, you Could know. I, I, was, well, look at the guys on the show. J.K. Simmons just won the fucking Oscar for Whiplash, and he was like, incredible my, movie. Yeah. My acting reel is a bunch of me and J.K. Simmons. It is a bunch of me and Harold Perrineau, who's in The Matrix. No, there's a and, million of you know, incredible yeah. people you know, Every, every person from every Law & Order. Jazz na- Hoyt. It seemed natural that you would step yeah. into... Well, I'll tell you Biker what. Biker gang president, Jazz Hoyt. Yeah, biker gang president. Um, and it was <laughs> funny because uh, it, it was just... It, it was an incredible time to be in New York right. and... Part I love of, the show. That was man. the first cable show in history. Yeah, it was the first time they ever wow. had a show without commercials in the history wow. of the world. Holy shit! How I got on the show was Monty Connor. I remember Monty from Roadrunner Records. Yeah, A and R for Sepultura. A and R for Biohazard. Wow. For the one-off record that we did with Roadrunner, because they don't do one-off records. Right. We did the one True. ever one-off record because we were already signed to Warner Brothers, uh. and we wanted an opportunity to not go from Maze America. And an album we never got paid for directly to Warner Brothers. We wanted to put out like a proper independent release. So mm. we, Warner Brothers paid for the Roadrunner record. And Roadrunner. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was like some secret shit. Okay. But um, Monty, me and Monty were just friends. And it was years after I was, this is like 97, 96, 97. Yeah. And me and Monty, ran into each other at a show and we were talking I go he's like what are you doing I was like I'm going home to watch that show Oz it's so sick have you seen it he goes yeah I saw it after the first episode so we kept talking about the show then one day um, about a year later uh, he said dude I see you're playing at the Hammerstein Ballroom with Insane Clown Posse because that was a thing to do back yeah. in those days. <laughs> um, sold that fucker out too, bro. Um, yeah, I'm sure you and, did. And he goes, you, he goes, dude, do you know who my wife is? I was like, no. He goes, she's Kelly Connors. She's an attorney. She represents actors. Chris Maloney. Oh, yeah. J.K. Simmons. Harold per- All these guys. Wow. Dean Winters. Okay. Dean, who's the you know mayhem from Allstate. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe Allstate. the most successful commercial actor ever. Wow. Um, Dean... Uh, he goes, you know, a lot of those guys in that show like your band. 
I go, invite them. Invite <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah. So I had done an interview in like something in Europe, like NME or some yeah. snooty British thing where they're interviewing you and they're kind of taking the piss out of you the whole time. They're trying to like give you a bunch of backhanded compliments and go, Derek, you know, you're really talented for a stupid guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do, how, I, I'm a huge fan, by the way. And you're just like, I don't know if you're insulting me or not. I'm just going to sit here and... I love you, baby. New album sucks. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Like like a, like a kid from a fanzine in East Germany. From, oh yeah, from so straightforward. He goes, yeah. "So you are biohazard." I I remember before you was were a huge sellout, and when you were true to the hardcore scene before you became a terrible capitalist pig. I remember this because I was a huge fan of the band, and now I do not like biohazard anymore. But I thought I would interview you for my zine to make some adversarial moment so I can feel like I'm asserting myself. <laughs> And I'd be like, yo, Jack, you want me to like, so perfect. you want to go outside and I can beat the fucking shit out of you? <laughs> sure, of course you can beat me up because you are bigger, but that would only prove all of my points that you are the weak man here. The man who threw so the first punch. That's so true, dude. I definitely, definitely was there. But he, goes, yeah, oh, yeah, he told me, I, he invited them all and they were in the one of those balcony things, like yeah. one of those Statler yeah, yeah, and Waldorf. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember I, was so fanboy i was never so i'm up there biohazard stomping around <laughs> and we were like in stride we've been on tour for oh yeah we've been on tour for like 18 months where we i was in shape um no that's not true i was fat <laughs> i was super fat <laughs> we were on we were in tour shape but i wasn't in physical okay okay, okay. in um, sync though like crushing yeah, it. yeah man. yeah we were in sync and i remember the whole show like me probably not doing the greatest job because I was looking up to see their reaction and waving and like, <laughs> I shouted them out you know every you know Biohazard every song as it's starting yo this song is up to Derek and Toby and yo my motherfucking boys from Oz up there yo bring me shit for Oz you were hyped every song I was hyped you know yeah 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 and, and uh, you know and after the show me and Dean I met them they came backstage it was like a great New York moment and yeah uh, Dean, me and Dean went out to see some DJs that saved the robots. Save it was the robots. One of those. Robots. Yeah. Wow. He took me to Tom Fontana's house. Woke up, Dean, you know, Dean been partying. Woke up, Tom Fontana, six thirty in the morning. Tom, you got to meet this guy, Evan. You got to put him on the show. Oh, oh my god! And I'm like, he put me on the. I'm like, this is awkward. Like I'm standing in. His, right. Tom Fontana's in a bathrobe. Holy He's like shit. this huge TV producer writer. Was that Manhattan or something? Somewhere? Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. The guy who lived in the uh, West Village. Fuck. He had the coolest house. It was an old library or a firehouse. It was converted into the biggest one bedroom apartment in New York City. Holy shit! And uh. We met and he was so cool. And Tom says, If you were going to be a horrible criminal on my show, what type of horrible person would you be? So I'm all tatted yeah. and a shaved head. I go, I could play one of the skinheads. He goes, He goes, I got skinheads already. It's not interesting. He goes, Tell <laughs> me about yourself. I go, I play in a hardcore band. He goes, I don't know about that. He goes, I don't know about that. He goes, What do you do for fun? I go, I ride motorcycles. He goes, You're a biker? I go, Yeah, I'm a biker. He goes, Oh. There's a lot of bikers in prison, right? I was like, yeah. <laughs> he goes, he goes, he goes to Dean. He goes, leave me now, Evan. Please leave your address with my assistant. Wow. Right? Wow. Dude. We left, so I figured he's gonna send me a fucking t-shirt or something. <laughs> so I've been up all night. It was the last, you know, last night of tour, you home show. You, yeah. I finally knock out and I sleep. I wake up and there's a messenger pack in my door. 
in, I was living in Astoria at the wow. time, 26th Street and 23rd Avenue, and there's a thing in my door. It says, it's like a holiday weekend. It says, uh, Monday morning, 6, 6 a.m., Chelsea Markets, speed of the set. No wow. So I, I know this girl who's in acting school, and he sent me a little script, like a sides. So I go, I got an audition for fucking Oz, my favorite show. Insane, dude. Right? So... I'll be honest, I didn't study that hard. I didn't take it that seriously. I thought I'm good at everything. It's mm. kind of one of my big you mean cocky about one it of my of... cocky young guy downfalls. Okay. Like I'm I'm good at being in biohazard. I must be good at this too. Okay. Um not not so much at the beginning. It took a lot of work. Um, but um I went to the set and they brought me to a dressing room and to wardrobe and to hair and makeup and I remember like being so cavalier going, wow, you guys really take this whole thing really seriously. Like mm -hmm. putting me in wardrobe for right. an audition and shit, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it was the biggest production in the history of TV because when they had those cafeteria scenes, there's 400 people. Yeah, it's crazy. They'd never done that for a tele television show was Seinfeld. There's five yeah. people in a room, max, you know? Yeah. There's never like, you know, a, a fight scene with a gang in a TV show. Oh, you know? TV's the small right. screen, Yeah. Right? Damn. So I go and they walk me in and there's a PA and he's walking with me, clipboards, and I feel really important and I'm a little nervous mm. and I'm excited and I'm not a morning person. It's really early and I walk <laughs> in the room and there's a set and I'm walking around the prison and I'm like, yo, that's Emerald City. And that's, <laughs> oh, that's this. And I'm shit. like, so I'm like I wanted to take pictures everywhere. Yeah. You know, I was like a fan. And they walk me into this room and they go, and I'm looking at my script, you know, and I imagine I'm going to audition for the producer and the director and there in sitting in the room is at a BC was hard. JK Simmons and Kirk Avicedo and Harold Perrineau and Luis Guzman. Oh yeah. yeah. And every motherfucker who's like a main dude on the show and Terry Kinney and Ernie Hudson and Lee Turgeson and Chris Maloney. They're oh. all sitting around a table because the scene that I thought was an audition that was actually a reading table. Like, a reading no, table. they were filming the show. They oh. just, they didn't tell me. They thought I would know if we sent you a script and a call time. You're acting. They didn't know I'd never acted before. Oh, oh my god, dude! Wow, you had supposed to have the lines learned by Monday. Yeah. I had them like loosely memorized, but. I was planning on having the paper in my hand because the girl, the girl that I knew, who was the only person I knew who had acting experience, she was just like a girl from acting class. Holy she goes, shit, she goes, it's not good if you hold the paper, but they understand in the audition you could hold the paper. So I'm thinking I'm going to hold the paper, you know. And and uh, my first day, I had three scenes. I had a scene with J.K. Simmons where I was sneaking some brass knuckles through a package in the in the in the like the the scanner of the package. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing some dirty deal behind his back and he calls me out. Holy shit. And so must I, have been surreal I walked in and I was, when they said, I go, I walked in, I look at everybody and I'm like, you guys are all here from my audition. Yeah. And these are method actors. They're all in character. They're sitting here like this. Look at this. Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> Staring at this is the new guy. <laughs> And Luis Guzman, I had met him at Jimmy's Bronx Cafe with with uh, Big Pun and Fat Joe. Like, Jesus. randomly, three weeks before. Wow. And maybe two, maybe a month before. And he jumps out of his seat and he goes, bro, you thought this was an audition. I could see it on your face. 
Yeah. He goes, you're going to be fine, man. And we met, you remember me? I was like, fucking Louis Guzman. You know, I, <laughs> of course. Of course. He goes, he goes, bro, just, just how we're talking, just act like that. Just don't, mm. don't act like, don't think you got to do a whole bunch yeah, of yeah, acting because yeah. they'll kill you off the show. Okay. He goes, they kill three and a half people per episode. <laughs> and how they decide who they're going to kill off is who shows up late to the set and who's not a good actor. Wow. He goes, so you see the way I'm talking to you? He's whispering to me. He goes, just talk like he goes, always, if you don't know what to do, do less. Mm. He goes, the camera makes it big. And I didn't know what he meant. I was like, it's not my audition? <laughs> and I remember Still. I had to give this whole monologue about how, as the president of the biker gang, we had raised money for the Ronald McDonald house with a toy run. I was supposed to be like this killer with a heart. Yeah. Because <laughs> the show was actually very funny, undertones. But I ended up being on the show for a long time. I remember really Fuck, feeling humble. After getting over the excitement and the hump, I felt really humble to the craft of it. Yeah. And I started studying acting and going to classes and real reading. And a lot of those guys helped me with my lines, like like J.K. Simmons, like um, Eamon Walker. Mm -hmm. You know who Eamon Walker is? I think if I, I know saw. the name, yeah. yeah. He's in that movie Fled with Lawrence Fishburne, but he's, uh, he's like Chicago Fire. He was the head of the Muslims. Okay, okay. Super intense yeah. British yeah, yeah, yeah. guy. I mean, he's talented. Lee Turgeson, these guys would like help me read my parts. So cool, man. You know? Incredible. And it wasn't I was stoked for you, man, because I was a fan of that show, too. It was so cool to see somebody you knew on there, you know? Yeah. Did it, that help, like, as far as, like, the band? Yeah, it helped. I mean... You know, it didn't. It, it really... Did. It did not. It did not. I thought it would... It didn't really cross over. To be honest with you, you know, the guys in the band were, excited, were not excited about me being on TV. These were, like, long mm. periods of time that... that uh, you know that you're working yeah, yeah, yeah. the band wasn't going to be touring mm -hmm. yeah and you know i felt a lot of a lot of resistance from the band i used to you know i'm sure feel i used to feel like guilty about pursuing other things yeah. in my life you know yeah um How would you, like, you know in the old days you know the in the old biohazard culture you know if you you know if you were doing something outside of the the click of the band you were out for self yo you own mm, you out yeah, for self that's true back then for sure you know it was it was part of yeah. the thing you know what i mean yeah. and like i never really did things for myself i never made a solo band or a mm. solo album while i was in the band you know yeah. i i stayed true to the band the truth is you know when i got into the adult business i started making a lot of money yeah like i would make more different money. world man yeah I got into a business. It, this is the time people stopped buying music, mm -hmm. but people were buying the shit out of porn. Yeah, and I was married to the girl that was the biggest star in the world, and you know, I would make more in those days. I would make more money in a month than I would make a whole year being in the band. Wow! But I still toured a fuck ton because right. I loved it. Yeah, you're doing both. And, yeah, and I felt, I felt like this was my purpose and my calling. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, you know, eventually, twenty five years in. 25 years in yeah uh i decided i didn't want to do it anymore yeah i want to travel i didn't want to i didn't want to do anything that wasn't and were those guys like come on man like really trying to no 25 years is a long they, time they though felt it you know yeah, 20, you know? he's gonna show you something 25 years is a long time though yeah i mean yeah. that's it yeah but you know what it was a great it's something i'm really proud of it was a great body of work you know yeah. biohazard did i don't know 12 13 albums you know we played Over five million records sold uh, Rolling Stone's best logo of the year. 
fucking I was in the shades of gray video. I'm gonna get all this shit in there before you get bored. Because <laughs> we're only like talking about it. But stay the world address and the fucking five blocks of the subway and with fucking the send dog on the song, how it is single. Yeah, we did so we did a shit, bunch of collaborations with Cypress Hill. You know, but I those were always the high moments for me. The I, high moments yeah. for me was never like after the first few years of it, the things that stand out was like, I remember it was like my birthday and we were playing at like Lowlands Festival in like Holland or Belgium. Yeah. And like, and Send Dog and B like let me get a mic and like get up on stage and like be in Cypress Hill for the day. Damn. I got a picture. I'm wearing like a Raiders, like a, I'm wearing, I dressed like them. You were wearing a Raiders. I'm wearing a Raiders, a Raiders button up like baseball jersey. Damn. And like a Scully and I remember all that everything was all together man it, it was, was so all fucking... like one thing man but dude all those records went your first three records on platinum man or more than something that something like that you know fuck I'll tell you what you know I, I now it's it's funny because the way I look at it is so different today because mm, sure. you know things and any business any career any band any artist careers have an arc you know yeah there was you know there's there was some time when you know, when ACDC wasn't popping. No, you're you know right. what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, not every album is your biggest album. And I would be really down when the band wasn't like as popping as before. And then we went through a lot of member changes. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it was tiresome, like to, you know, when, when you're, when people only want to hear your second album or your third album and you're on your ninth album. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like, I feel that. I, hear I remember that, the yeah. day I met Lemmy. Mm -hmm. I was like 1990 or something. And it was the rainbow. He had his short shorts on. I rolled up <laughs> on. I rolled up on him. I took off my flannel. I showed him my Motorhead shirt that was like old school Motorhead shirt. Yeah. And I was like, "Let me, man. I just moved out here from California. It's my first time here from New York." I was like, "I think your dog just farted." Okay, on sorry, me. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> that means she loves it's you. An interesting fragrance. <laughs> <laughs> she's, uh, she's giving her a scent. She loves you. So okay. uh, meet Lemmy. Rainbow I meet Lemmy in the rainbow. And I go, man, I'm a huge fan. You know, I got all your albums. And he goes, yeah, what was the last one you bought? Oh. And I boom. go like, oh, or yeah. Orgasmatron. Right. And he's like, yeah, you missed two. And he turned his back on me. Oh, And this shit. is me like drunk in the rainbow. I'm going to beat the fuck out. I'm, I'm like. You beat the fuck out of Lemmy. And I think Tiny, OG Tiny, <laughs> rest, rest in peace, peace yeah. grabbed me and carried me out. Yo, man, you can't hit Lemmy. <laughs> I was like, motherfucker just dissed me and turned his back on me. I ain't going to fucking take that from anybody. I have a bunch of fragile ego Brooklyn shit, you know, <laughs> that I think is makes me tough, but really it's the truth. It's the, oh, um, my God. And. Then I thought about it and I was like, yeah, I didn't buy their last three records. And it, the same thing happened to me yeah. because people stopped buying records mm -hmm. in general. Yeah. And streaming wasn't a thing yet. We, no. you know, we got caught in the vortex, all of us here. For mm -hmm. sure. You know, okay. I realize now, like, you know, what what is an artist? So I have a new music project right now. I'm doing a solo record and I'm writing shit, but I'm... Is it S SVG? No, Savages was a little hip-hop thing okay, that okay. I did. I didn't really... That was just like an experiment. Okay. Me and my ex, me and my ex-wife, okay. produced some hip hop tracks together. Okay. Um, no, I'm doing a new thing. It's called Memento Mori. Okay. Which in Latin means remember we're going to die. Okay. So live your life. So I have two guys, Aaron Swiss and Tavi Castro, okay. who are my friends and neighbors in Tulum. Okay. And they're both producers and DJs. And I've been in the underground techno and house scene managing my ex-wife for 10 years. Yeah. So I kind of know all the big DJs. I've been to all the festivals. You know, she was touring and I was her 
manager, road manager yeah, yeah, yeah. in the booth. You know, I know yeah. the music and I played a lot of bass and keyboards on a lot of her productions over the years. So I really understand. And I always liked that, you know, that kind of music, the ongoing beat that never yeah. ends, you know. And I've come to really grow to be close friends with a bunch of guys like Roger Sanchez, a Grammy winner type um, artists. And um, we came with this idea to make a party, okay. a recurring weekly event where we'll perform live. They'll DJ and I play instruments. That's what I saw you doing the other day. Yeah. So with your I, hat on playing. The, yeah, yeah man. Right. Like okay. Tulum vibes. So, okay. Like you got to think Tulum. Looks is, so positive. Everybody's dancing. Dude, the and Tulum happy. is a conscious community. It's like. Everybody is so fucking dope and people are all down there like looking for the next positive change. Yeah. Everyone's there. Everybody meditates. Everybody goes to yoga. Everybody's vegan or vegetarian <laughs> or at the most pescatarian, yeah. you know, and people are just all positive vibes and like, hey, you want to, it's weird. It was my birthday. I've been living there two months. Yeah. Um. So we had a party at, at, awesome. at my party. It was great. And the next night, I realized it was my actual birthday. It was the next day, and my son is visiting me, and my best friend Ross was visiting me. How old your son now? He just turned. Yes, birthday was yesterday. Twenty-seven. Wow! Yeah, it was. I, I, I was looking at his Instagram page. And How crazy! Crazy! Yeah, you guys remember when he was a baby? Yeah. I mean, geez, you were literally man. there. So yeah. Yeah, he towers over. What is he? Li- he li- does. He produces hip hop. Hip hop. Yeah. He lives he, in New York. He's an artist. Lives here in he's downtown dope. LA. He was really good. He's really talented. My That's son. awesome. He man. goes. His artist name. Check him out on Instagram or on wherever. Uh, so on so Spotify. Sam Solomon. Okay. Which is his real first and middle name. Yeah. So um, he came out there for your birthday and. Well, he came out, but like, this is how Tulum goes. Like, you make friends and people are there. Like, it's like a willing. Nobody's like grew up there and has a resentment about being there. And yeah. it's like all people who've moved there who are like searching for a better life to be around positive community. I love that. And like I had like, I swear there was more people at my birthday dinner that was loosely planned a few hours before than any time I've had dinner for myself anywhere. Wow. And it was all like quality people who didn't want anything from me and I don't yeah. want anything from them. Just like chill people like... I lived in LA for a long time. It's not a place where grown men make a bunch of friends right. with each other and like really spend time kicking it. Mm-hmm. Everybody's hustling out here. You yeah. work so hard. Yeah. You know, I never had time. I've run into you. I've run into you. Totally. We've gone we we ate together after a hike, yep. you know. But like it's I realized here I, I needed to change where I live to change my mind, to change myself. Because yeah. I want to start doing more things like that. Like yeah. mm-hmm. I'll meet some other dude at the beach and you know, he'll be telling me about some his life experience, and you know, sometimes we're not even going to collab and do anything. We're just going to be friends. Yeah. And like, you know, I read a lot of books. I read a lot of Eckhart Tolle. I'm super into the power of now and just trying to be present in the moment. Yeah, he's such a different. It's so amazing. To My see energy's you know, changed. I was such is. a stressed out person. It is. L.A. was killing me. Honestly, it wasn't nothing wrong with L.A. I was internalizing that 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 tempo of like gotta grind gotta push gotta right. yeah nothing's ever enough gotta try to make it you know don't slow down yeah don't slow down it's affecting my health you know mm-hmm. i'd lost a bunch of weight it wasn't sleeping well yeah it was really taking a toll on me and like i'm it, down there i'm kind of like you know i make time to go to the beach and watch the sun rise or set sometimes which i would never do in la because in la yeah. i'm thinking to get to the beach it's gonna take me an hour <laughs> yes, traffic totally. and i don't want to go the way to west side and yeah then, uh, it's like 
you, I would <laughs> make excuses, you know? Yeah. The only thing I ever kept consistent in LA was I always worked out and I always went to hiking, mm-hmm. you know? Stayed on your health, right? Yeah. Well, listen, you got your, you know, what is wealth, right? Right. Wealth is your health and your time. Yeah. You know, my part of Memento Mori at our, so we do this weekly event. We have these girls that are all body painted with fire. It's like a, it's like a vibe. You can come like, forget about your life and just put on dance, dance around fucking like, just be free. Yeah. Like, um, and the music is cool. Like I put a lot of those kind of dark riffs like those kind of biohazardy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> evil minor sounding things yeah. into like the the bass lines right. mm-hmm. and kind of make it mean so it kind of has that bounce. Yeah, you know what you were talking about. I, the only consistent thing in my music is is that kind of th- that tonality. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I like doing different genres. I love it. You know, I, I love that you don't live in the past. Like we talk, you don't really yeah. talk about the old days so much. Like. We like, talked, me and Max talked about that as we were walking over here. I said, like how you, know, you live in the now, you know, I, I love said, that. you've probably never, uh, he's been working with me for over a year and a half or something like that. You probably heard, never heard a lot of this stuff. No, but because we were talking back, just walking back from the thing. And yeah. Still, we forgot to recap on last night since the last time I saw you because we had so much going on today. And yeah, I said, this, yeah, is yeah. The, this is like the story of a life. I, like if I died tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? Um, which that's real. Anybody can yeah. die any day. You got to live with that, right? Um, I want. I just want to know that I lived my life well, mm-hmm. and and it's good to reminisce and it's good to remember the good and the old times and learn from the mistakes and learn from the bad. But I never wanted to be one of those person people that lives in just the past. And every time you see that same old friend, you just talk about those old yeah. times. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that those old times. Now time- I feel bad I did that with you, but no, no, no. But people this- like the story. <laughs> no, th- this is the relevant time to talk yeah. about it. Because we have a history. Because we have a history. It's my son, Max. Yeah, I remember him, man. Because we, we have a history, you know what I'm saying? Evan, it's like. And of course. Lot, and honestly, a lot of people want to know. I'm totally, I'm I'm totally here to talk about it. A lot of people. I'm here. I'm very curious. You seem like a person that doesn't have any regrets either. No, I mean, I've made huge fucking mistakes that cost me millions of dollars and legal problems and I've taken on responsibilities of things that, that were insurmountable and navigated through them as best I could and, you know, life happens and, yeah. uh, you know, I I feel like the best thing about me was always the worst thing about me mm. was that I always, without regret or even necessarily fear of consequence, followed my gut. Yeah, just did. Yeah, you know, because I saw a lot of guys stand on the sidelines and be like, "I ain't gonna do that. I'm gonna wait till somebody else does it first, and maybe I'll figure out how to do it better later." Mm-hmm. And for me, it wasn't. It was always about doing it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of my questions: Are you an optimist or pessimist? But you, you, you're super posy. You know, I have my own. Or you're realist. I'm super realist. I'm super. <laughs> my thing is authenticity. That's just my, yeah. to self, right? Yeah. Um. You know the 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 purpose of me moving to Tulum, besides like redefining my purpose and like rediscovering what I want to do next, is I'm writing a book right now. Awesome. And the book is is not anything about really about my life or stories about bands or any of that. I'm writing a a, a book called Mentorship. Okay. And it's a book about it's a book to help other men find some of the things that I found in my later life like a path to confidence and happiness where you you are optimistic and you are focused on 
your abundance and your happiness. And, you know, you realize you're not the things you did. Those are just things you did, mm-hmm. you know. Um, if you already did them, you don't need to keep necessarily doing them. You could do a yeah. lot of other things in your life. You need to be fearless. And if you want to be really happy in your life, you have to constantly ask yourself, am I happy with what I'm doing right here, right now? Yeah. Because if I'm just doing this because I think the outcome is going to be good later, it's going to be an unhappy ending yeah, at some yeah, point. Right. And I know that from making that mistake a lot of times. Yeah, from like, yeah. When people ask me, do I have any regrets in my life? My first thing is to say no, and then I pause and I go, you know, my ba- my one regret is not recognizing the signs of when to like fearlessly stop doing something. Mm. Cause usually yeah. we don't, you know, human nature, right? You don't move out of a house till you have a new house. And you, a lot yeah. of people don't break up with their girlfriend until they're interested in somebody else and they're pretty sure it's gonna be there as a landing pad. Most people are not, <laughs> you know, just fearlessly, I'll quit my job, quit got nothing job. else going on, Yeah, but I'm sure I'll get a great new job. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's you true. know what? That's how you become, I don't know, self-actualized and find enlightenment and, and learn to rely on yourself. Yeah, like, absolutely. I, I think, you know, the reason I, the, like, the reason I think my book's going to be successful, right? Yeah. Is I want to show other, uh, other people who maybe don't believe in themselves enough that they can because yeah. they, they're capable of anything if they believe, right? Like, I'm not the fucking most smartest or talented guy. You know what I mean? I don't have any training in anything, but I've replicated a bunch of success in a bunch of different verticals. So I started to realize the common denominator is, is my hard work, right? Mm-hmm. And my ideas and me, me figure out how to connect the dots. Yeah. You know what I mean? So my next thing is something that's more like a natural progression for me because I don't want to jump around on stage. And, yeah. And I... I, if I jump in the mosh pit, I'll probably I look good, but I'll probably get hurt. <laughs> I've had shoulder surgery this year. Yeah, we're going for an MRI from here. Oh wow! Okay. You know, which okay. I gotta leave. For. Okay, okay. Um, what what are your what do you want last? I mean, this is great. I mean, we covered <laughs> we covered all my notes. Okay, Every, we're good. I mean, we did. We fucking you know. You said that the Riz, you, you tore the grave diggers, and Riz lived by you. That's pretty cool. Yeah, me and Riz have found diggers. out at the first ever Biohazard House of Pain Grave Diggers Corn Ooh. Show. Grave diggers, wow. Opening corn. band was Corn. Wow, dude. Then Grave Diggers. <laughs> then House. Then Biohazard, and then House of Pain. Sick Bill. And it was sick. Damn. And that's where I met Estevan Oriol. It's from yes. who used to go by Steve O. Yep. He's Before on my he, too. Yeah, the greatest. Shout out to Esteban. Yeah, yeah. fuck. Esteban's my homie. So um, that's you. Re- you realize you guys were in. in um, and we started talking. Where you from? I said you're from Shaolin, right? He was like, No, Brooklyn. I was like, Where in Brooklyn are you from? He's like, East New York. I was like, Where? He goes, Brookline Projects. I was like, Like he was from this, the avenue behind the projects, wow, and I was okay. from the avenue on the other side of the projects. Okay. And we started talking, and then it like, you know, it was like like his cousin. I knew his cousin or some shit okay. played, like, <laughs> used to play three-man basketball at my park where wow. I stayed or some shit. He's like, yeah, you know, um, and it was just a small world, but I don't know, I, I guess I got to meet a lot of great people in my life so far. And it's, yeah. You, you, you start to realize, you inspire me a lot, Toby. I'll Thank be honest you, with you. I follow you on social media since the beginning, and I feel like you found your most like you found a great platform for yourself and a positive voice way to connect with people. And thank you. Man. Almost your message comes through really clearly. And, um, like, I feel like finding your, your, your lane, finding your vehicle to, 
do something. Yeah. You know, great. Like I, I listen to the podcast. It's great. It's Thank real. You, man. It's, Thank it's, you. It's you, you know, and it gives you a new voice. Um, and I'm like kind of refining before I drop it, my podcast, my new music and you know, the, whatever I'm going to do next. Yeah. But you know, it's all positive PMA. Thanks for the socks. It's all love. <laughs> <laughs> kind of needed some socks. bro. No, my sock. no. I appreciate you coming. I know you're busy. I know you don't live here. You're in town for a couple of days and I'll have you on again for part two someday, Fuck but yeah. you, you've done so many cool things and I appreciate you digging in your past. We generally talk about, but the people, the listeners are really going to appreciate the story yeah, yeah, and the history. Absolutely. You know, I was going to ask you how it was to be in the band with Ted Nugent and Sebastian Bach, but that's probably a crazy story anyway. Part two. We'll yeah, put part that. Two, it's a whole yeah. story. What else? I, I have a whole ask? list. No, that's good. We covered so much, right, Derek? Anything yeah. else? We didn't talk even talk. Oh, I mean, there's a lot. What's, what's that? We didn't even talk about my 20 years in the adult business. I know. I know, man. Great. It's kind of great, which yeah. reserves yeah, for part two. We'll make them tune back in. Yeah. Of course. Clickbait. People Click love bait. the part twos. People love people coming back. Thanks for taking the time. I don't have to go to MRI now. And you look great. And it's great to thanks, reconnect thanks with you. Thanks for having me. And right Derek, on, man. man, it was so great to see it's you. And awesome. how this kind of happened was yeah. I recognized him fully with masked. The mask. Masked with a hood on. So yeah. With a hat, a hood, and the mask. Because <laughs> we you did that. It was because a- I never I have a weird uh painfully photographic memory for every person I ever met in every place I've ever been. It's pretty awesome. It's terrible. It's clu- <laughs> it, no, no, it's good. You remember people, but it yeah. clutters my brain with a bunch mm. of. It's the opposite of Albert Einstein says, "Don't remember everything. Just write down what you need to remember and leave your mind clear." <laughs> okay. I remember the face in the crowd of every concert I ever played yeah. in a weird way. But we toured together, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. pretty extensively. Fun. Thank that you. Was, for, that thank, was so cool. Though. Thank you for putting was, me in the Shades of Grey video. Thank you for putting me in the Bionics <laughs> the Bionics video. The Bionics video was awesome. Man. I loved you. It was such fun like, times, man. He was such a like amazing kid. Like when he when you first came around, and like you know that was the scene. Like new dudes would pop up, and you'd be like, "Oh, who's this person?" I <laughs> know. And, and then they would keep showing up, and then you'd be like, "All right, this person is part of." my scene this is person you know and we have a moment together on the 1991 relativity records uh vhs agnostic front gorilla biscuit sick about our show where me and you come out i barely knew you and we carry the american flag out for agnostic front <laughs> and right. you have long hairy jeans tucked in your boots <laughs> still no. with the jeans in the boots no but you want you can watch the video listeners you can watch it it's me and holding the flag for agnostic i remember i remember so patriotic and i remember <laughs> at that show i had to bounce for af and sick of it all mm. and i remember that was like one of those moments where like you couldn't they were recording it yeah and you couldn't One have voice. like a full free for all with thousands of people on the stage and you know <laughs> you would you would be like a celebrity bouncer you've all done yeah, it yeah yes. yeah so you so um it's i remember it was like me and it was a couple of other guys from like recognizable bands were like yeah. on a knee maybe paul bearer or somebody yeah like bouncing for sick of it all and af because people are on the mic but somebody sent me some great picture the other day from that like like it's like a cb's live one voice mm. Or something, and like I sing a song or something. Oh wow! Somebody sends me a photo. I'm singing like "Fascist Attitude" with Roger. That's it. Or something, and it's like one of those pictures that like it's like a Where's Waldo? It's like yeah. everybody's yeah. everybody's on the stage. Every you're singing, but you can't see the mic. Is a million. <laughs> I love that. It was shit, like more man. like one of your shows I than one that. of my shows. But well, thank you, Evan. Thank me. you so Evan. much, awesome. man. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Um, please rate, review. Uh, subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast please do that and whatever platform you are listening to this on i'm glad you found me you can rate me and review me on there also so thank you guys sincerely for the support i cannot wait for you guys to the next one